With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Believe it or not, we are now, it seems unbelievable. We are now three quarters of the way. Can that be right? Well, almost three quarters of the way. I guess somewhere between, between two thirds and three quarters of the way into the college football season. It seems like it just began. I'm already working on my my all underappreciated and all emerging team. Uh, spoiler alert: Rondell Moore uh, is <laughs> headlining. <coughs> pardon me, my all emerging team. I love that kid, uh, and I just love him more and more. He he, and he so fits you know today's football, where he would have been a quote unquote gadget player in another era. I think a smart coach, well, we'll spend time talking about him. We'll spend some time talking about, you know, the you know, the panorama that is college football. We'll spend some time on the Oakland Raiders' uh, future, which in this case is the draft. So I'm joined by, rejoined by, my, my good friend, Geometric himself, gentleman James Coburg. How are we doing this morning, Jen? I'm doing very well. Uh, I actually caught a Sinbad concert last night. And really? Yeah, and he is hilarious. 62 years yes. old, still kicking it. Yes. Well, this is what people don't realize. Because Sinbad has often been stuck playing some very corny individuals on television at various times, they mistakenly think that that's who Sinbad is. Uh, I saw Sinbad in concert. <laughs> Sinbad's been doing this for a while, uh, but I saw Sinbad in concert at um, um, well, basically the Black Spring Break. Uh, I don't know how to put it. Um, some people have heard of certain things as Freaknik or whatever. It wasn't really Freaknik. It was just a Black Spring Break, basically. Uh, Freaknik was something a little different. I never went to that. I would have known if I were at that. But uh, some people misidentify what I attended as Freaknik. And in my hometown for a while there, there was a Black Spring Break in Virginia Beach until an incident with the police and some things happened and then it moved. But it used to be in my hometown of Virginia Beach, uh, black college students would either come up from the Deep South or down from Howard and, uh, you know, uh, UDC and some of the other uh, Northern and Lincoln and some of the other Northern HBCUs, and we'd have, you know, a good old time. And one year, uh, uh, Sinbad was the headliner with, uh, this will only mean, you know, things to people who are of uh, a certain age, but uh, a band called EU um, was there. And uh, who else was on the docket that year? Um, it wasn't Tony, 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 someone else. But yes, it was a big old deal. And Sinbad has been hilarious for 30 plus years, young Jim Coburn, just so you know. Sinbad has been funny since, I can attest that Sinbad has been funny for 
at least 31 or 32 years. Uh, he's been very, very funny. The real Sinbad could not be on television, at least not, you know, normal broadcast television. The real Sinbad is something very different from what you've probably seen in the various roles he's played on television. Oh, I mean, I've always been familiar with his, uh, with his stand-up, but I just was like, you know, wow, he still got it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just one of those things. Because, you know, there's some comedians that, you know, they'll do something in the 80s or the 90s or whatever, and then they'll just keep doing that thing, you know, again and again and again until it's, like, done to death, you know, because that's all they know. You know, it works. Right. You know, but, you know, it, it is what it is, but, no, so that is, uh, you know, I, I was just very impressed. You still got it. Yes, yes. I am, I'm not at all surprised to hear that still has. There are certain, at some point we'll talk about my sort of, I mean, I, I briefly did stand up, and I don't know how best to explain this to anyone. Think of the hardest thing you've ever done in your life like dealing with the, less, the death of a loved one or, or losing a job or, you know, all those things, those life-changing events. They really test your character. Multiply them by 100 and then set your hair on fire and now you can imagine what it's like to do stand-up in front of people which you don't know. We can all be very, very funny in front of people we know. Well, not all of us. <laughs> I shouldn't say all. Many people can be very, very funny in front of people that they know well. But my stand-up debut at some point well this is a story that must be explained more but my stand-up debut took, took place in front of a lesbian at a lesbian bar called Stella in my hometown uh or adjacent to my hometown I mean I lived in both Norfolk and Virginia Beach so this was in Norfolk so I'd moved to Virginia Beach at that point but I'd lived in Norfolk before so however but a friend of a friend knew I was funny, had seen me be funny, you know, but I always around people I, you know, and this is not a comedy bar, this is a lesbian bar in a fairly conservative part of America and, you know, a place with the world's, one of the world's largest military institutions, I mean, whatever. So, yes, I, it was a real test of my skills, and I got off to a rocky start, and I did one of the most difficult things one could do, get off to a bad start and then kind of turn it around. But I wouldn't ever want to try to do that again. It's literally one of the hardest things I've ever done. It is one of the most difficult things you could ever imagine doing. So people get to be great at doing stand-up. There's a reason they often could do other things fairly well, because if you can do stand-up well, you have a tremendous control of, you have to be charismatic, smart, funny, calm, under fire, almost literally under fire in some cases. I'm surprised we haven't had a stand-up comedian be president yet. I mean, I'm only half joking when I say that. But if you can be a successful stand-up, there's no doubt in my mind that Seinfeld could be a good president. And I'm not even joking when I say that. Like, the things it takes to be a great stand-up, I'm utterly convinced would allow you to be a successful president of the United States. Probably. I, I, would, I would say very likely. The only issue is a lot of comedians have a lot of skeletons in the closet. Yeah, well, right. Louis C.K. has probably lost his chance to be president. That's your asking me. Yes, Louis C.K. probably not. Well, I mean, I just say, you know, there's there's a lot of 
a lot of the best comedians have a lot of stuff in the back. It's just well, I mean, I'm going to turn the, I mean, people are going to tell me to stick to sports, but I'm ready to, if you went to Studio 54 in the late 1970s and saw what our current president was doing, you would say to yourself, man, that guy can't run for president. That's true. I'm, I'm pro- you know what? It probably will happen. You know, <laughs> you just said it. If Donald Trump can be president, anybody can be president. Uh, okay. So we should probably discuss the um, normally, I like to bury the lead, but this time I won't. I would like to start with the game that the whole world will be watching. Now, there are other games worth watching. This is actually a really good week. I mean, really, really good week to watch football. Um, so, so many good teams are playing other other teams that are either good or even if they aren't good, could beat them. You know, obviously. Mm-hmm. No name always has exposed its vulnerabilities. We'll talk about them at some point. Sometimes even against teams that don't seem like they should be the team that should give them trouble. But there are certain teams that all Northwestern gives a lot of people trouble. And like I said, Notre Dame at some point, this is a better Notre Dame than usual, but they can scare you. Uh, we just saw Virginia go down to, um, to Pittsburgh. And Pitt, and Pitt does that to somebody every year too. Uh, there, there are certain teams that you well, they've been doing. Almost, it. Yes, but there are teams you almost guarantee that Pitt's going to. Certain teams you sort of say, okay, Northwestern, Pitt, Navy. You know, certain teams that you just know, okay, they're going to get somebody every year. They get somebody. Who's going to get got? Iowa State. Who's going to get got by Iowa State this year? Because you know somebody will. Yeah. Yeah, because they. They got the upset against Duke, and then they got the upset against Virginia. So they seem to be – now, it's not as big as North upset turn, you know. It's, that's what Northwestern continues yeah. to be in terms of Big Ten teams. They just seem to upset yeah. teams. Right. But they have no business and beating, but they beat. What Purdue did for – you know, people want to talk about it forever. <laughs> and they should. If yeah. you're a Purdue – or a Purdue student, you're going to remember for the rest of your life that game. Uh, and you should. That's the kind of game that one should should think about for the rest of your life. I mean, and of course, if Purdue turns out to be really good in years going, future going forward, they might. If they can hold on to Coach Brown, uh, you know, Katie barred the door. OU and Texas Tech should be interesting. Uh, I'm shocked that Michigan's getting 10 and a half. Really? It's a good thing that I'm a. It's a good thing that I I, am not a betting person because I would. This would be one of those you know, um, bet grandmom's, you know. uh, Well, I would say Michigan. (laughs) Michigan has about a fifty. I mean, they have about a fifty percent chance of. It's not the best. I've seen ten and a half, to be honest, on Michigan. I, I can't imagine. If they were getting – this is what's blowing my mind. Forget Penn State. I don't think they should get ten and a half against Indiana or Purdue. <laughs> let alone Penn State. Wow. Okay. 
Uh, but moving on to the game, right, the game that everybody has blathered on about really since the, you know, early in the season because everyone assumed that one of these teams would have no losses, one of these teams would have one loss going into the season. I think people sort of were pointing to this game. It's one of those games that people start pointing to as soon as the schedule is set. The only thing that concerns me about LSU, and, and once again, I've come around to some extent on Joe Burrow, but I, he, he worries me to some extent. Uh, he, he seems to have a certain amount of clutch gene, or whatever term you want to use, but, but until the clutch gene is engaged, until the clutch is engaged, he's about a 52 or something percent passer or whatever it is. I mean, he, which is, I mean, his passing stats would be cool in 1968. In fact, he'd be an All-American in 1968. But it's not 1968, Jim. Yeah. There's dudes out here passing at 72, 70-something percent. 54, whatever it is he is now, that's not, that's not what's out in these streets now. Yep. If he were just more consistently accurate, I would be feeling upsettier about this LSU game. And I hate to say that because, you know, LSU is feeling pretty good about themselves, and they should. And, I mean, their quarterback situation is not as bad as the, um, oh, Etling. the kid. That, yes, Etling or that kid who has a brother who's there now. Um, pretty good athlete, but not really – much of a quarterback, uh, and even managed to get suspended oh. at some point. <laughs> Big uh, athletic team. Hmm. As much as I hate to see people just moving athletic black kids from quarterback to some of the positions, the only guys where I thought they might be on something, you know, although two were suggesting it there, like, maybe oh, you're yeah. on uh, Yeah, he's in my mind. Um, yeah, I can see him too. And he was there a, a long time, it seemed like. I think he started midway through his freshman year or something and then got finished. And this, oh, he was at one point splitting time with, um, oh, my God, uh, the kid who threw like Brandon Harris. Or, yes, thank you. Brandon Harris, who was splitting time at one point with uh, another terrible quarterback. <laughs> but, um, but, yes, wow. Wow, 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 wow. And then Florida is getting six and a half versus the uh, the Tigers of uh, Missouri, Columbia. Interesting stuff. But, um, but yeah, okay, so LSU wins this game. Yeah, that's the game people always play. Well, obviously, they have to try to keep the score down. You know, if it's a... 40-something point game. It seems unlikely they're going to be able to score in the 40s, even on a diminished Alabama defense, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, so keeping the ball, long drives, all the, you know, the usual stuff that Alabama Institute of People uh, establish the run, shorten the game, ugly it up, force a couple of turnovers, right? That's the, the, the thing that Alabama Institute of People, force a couple of turnovers, um, beat them up in the running game, hit their quarterback, all that stuff, right? So if, if LSU wins the game, they do all the stuff Alabama used to do to people. They have to be the Alabama of eight, nine years ago where Alabama used to win 22, 13, and 
14 to 9 in Exodus. Yeah. So that is the question. Can, can they do it? Do they have enough to do that? Well, I would say yes. Oh, cool. Uh, we'll proceed, sir. Well, based on all the stats work I do, Alabama coming into this game had has a 40% chance of winning it. Uh, now, is that likely to happen? I mean, we'll see what happens. But I think because Alabama's on the road, they're at LSU, you look at what LSU has in terms of previous matchups. LSU typically matches up fairly well with Alabama consistently. Uh, it's just that their quarterback situation is always a little iffy. And I'm not saying that, you know, Joe Burrow is, you know, the best quarterback ever, but he's definitely better better than Danny Etling. He's definitely better than Brandon Harris and Anthony Jennings. And though I don't think that this is going to be like LSU blowing out Alabama per se, because I don't think that'll ever really happen. I think if LSU can stop the run, because the biggest thing about Alabama is even though they have a crazy amount of passing uh, in terms of, you know, Tua in uh, in terms of uh, passing efficiency, they run the football a heck of a lot more than they pass the football. So I think if you can slow the running game down, Try to contain to as best as you can because you're not going to be having a lot of, the, of those big plays down the field because you're not running the football as often. Uh, and then the, the LSU offense, of course, plays well. Then I think there is a chance that LSU could get a uh, you know a sneaky victory this week, um, especially because LSU's defense is decent. They've always had you know, decent pieces here and there. Greedy Williams, of course, is probably the most talked about member um, of the defense, but, uh, you know, so far this year, they've been playing well on defense, and I think this is just an opportunity that, you know, if this was played in Alabama, yeah, I think Alabama can do it. Because it's an LSU, I think the table kind of flips a little bit, and I think they'll get they'll have enough help from the crowd and everything else, and, you know, being in a hostile environment that LSU can, you know, could potentially get the upset. Okay, so is there a target score? Because like, most people talk about having to keep it 24 points or below. What, what do you think? Right. I mean, is that is that one? Is do you think uh, that's about the right number? And two, do you think that number is possible? Is it? I mean, I say possible, but is that something you think is likely that you could actually hold them to under 20, 24 points or less? I really don't think so. I think. Their offense is too good to keep them to 24 points. I think it would be more likely if they kept their offense to 28 points, then they'd win by 31, you know, or 34, um, or some kind of combination of that. Um, I will say this much. I, if LSU is going to win this game, also I do think they need to take some chances here and there. Right. In the sense that I like teams that try to win games, Bill. I know you probably do too, but well, you know, so you have to risk it. my nephew on the show, Jeff Coburn, 
maybe not the hero that you want, but the hero that you need has gone out on the on, on the, long, the shortest of possible limbs and said he likes teams that try to win. But so it's true because, because because but you, do you need want, to be taking chances. Okay. Which you have to, I mean, it's like. <laughs> That's the one thing I'll say. I, 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 no, I believe you, but that's the thing. You look at you look at teams that have upset Alabama before. Uh, you know, Ole Miss with uh, yep. Chad Kelly of all people. Well, he, for the biscuit. <laughs> you know, like being a little risky because you know you, you can't play Alabama conservative. You're not going to win against Alabama playing conservative, like because it isn't an even playing field. The second you step on that field, it ain't even. So you have to do everything in your power to turn the odds against you, you know. So if that means that, you know, you're you're doing a instead of kicking a field goal, you do a a, a fake run, you know, uh, then you do it. If that means that you go for it on fourth down more often than you should, then you do it. If that means you go for two four, two point conversions at times, and, and people kind of look at you funny and go. Why are you going? Why are you going for a two-point conversion when you'll be up by, uh, you know, uh, eight or seven or whatever? And it's like, no, because we're trying to do everything in our power. This would be a time when you bust out your uh, onside kick to open the game on the opening kickoff, kind of thing. That kind of stuff, you mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, you have to do it. You have to risk it for the biscuit. You know, you have to be. You know, I mean, there's tons of examples of teams that have done stuff like that. But, you know, the Saints against the Colts, for example, you know, going for the onside kick and, and you know, all those other sorts of situations. Like, like, this isn't an even playing field. Alabama has the better team. Like, that's not in dispute. I'm not saying LSU is going to beat Alabama because they have the better team. What I'm saying is, is because LSU is at LSU, because they have the ability to – you know, they're not going to keep the score down tremendously, but I definitely I, – I would think it would be less likely for Alabama to win by by 14 points. I think 14 and a half is honestly what I think the line is for this game. I think it's less likely that Alabama beats LSU by uh, 15 points than it is LSU keeping this game close and then Alabama winning, you know, by 10 points or 7 points or whatever, you know, or 3 points even. But – that that's my thing. I think if, if but if LSU comes out in this game and they're conservative, they're kicking field goals instead of scoring touchdowns. If 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 at halftime the game is is like twelve to fourteen, Alabama because LSU kicked four field goals, you know, and they were in the twenty yard area, uh, you're not going to win the game. You know, if that's the score, if LSU if if, if it's fourteen to twelve. Alabama at halftime because LSU had to kick four field goals. You're not going to win the game with that strategy because it's Alabama. But I think if LSU does what it what it can do, takes some chances. Ed Orgeron, you know, has some crazy Cajun stuff, you know, happen in the game. That then this could definitely go their way. Okay. Yeah, I I expected the game to be close. Um, I. Well, as you know from the pickup show, I think I predicted something like a four-point victory or something for Alabama. I think Alabama wins a very tight game, but I won't be shocked 
And like I said, I'll be delighted if, um, if indeed LSU finds a way to win the game. Because uh, one is it you know, opens up a, a world of possibilities. Once again. Now, Alabama still probably ends up in the 14 playoff because they can't have one of those without Alabama in it, apparently. So even if they were to lose this game and somehow even not end up playing in the SEC uh, championship game, which, you know, I mean, I'm not predicting they won't, but we all know that if somehow if Alabama didn't even win their conference, <laughs> it would probably still end up in the, in the final four. Uh, okay, cool. Well, let's talk about a couple some other big games. There's some other big games. I mean, still staying within the SEC, it was essentially a play play-in game for the players, or a play-out game, maybe it's more descriptive, a play-out game. Georgia and Kentucky are going to face each other in what used to be a pretty fierce rivalry back, you know, probably before you were really too cognizant of college football. But there was a time, believe it or not, when Kentucky was really good football. Uh, that was a while back. So the first time in a long time, Kentucky is a very good football team, which I think is cool. And, you know, Georgia, of course, has been good for a while. That's not really news. But this is essentially the, I mean, the other things could still happen, but everyone's anticipating that whoever wins this game is going to be representing the East in the SEC Championship game. And I, everybody is probably right about that. Uh, I mean, it would take a, a series of unforeseen events for, for, that, for one of those two teams not to be the team that represents the SEC East. So t- take me through that game. Take me through Georgia and uh, Kentucky. Well, ultimately in this game, I, I would – it's really tough because Kentucky has played abnormally well this year. Yeah, I don't, I don't think many people thought Kentucky – because every year we talk about this, oh, Kentucky's back, and then they're not back. You know, like right. there's, there's a sense of like, oh, yeah, Kentucky, they're getting there, and, and then they're not back. You know, they're, they're I'm, middle I'm, of that kind of – yeah, you were in Europe when, when we did the SEC preview show, so I had Steve uh, on. And I think, I think we predicted, one of us predicted 75, one predicted 8 and 4. And the person who predicted 8 and 4, and I think it might have been me, said I was scared as heck <laughs> when I thought I was doing it. And I was scared as heck while I was doing it. I thought Kentucky would be better. I thought they were going to save Coach Stoop's job because <clears> – <throat> It's easy to forget that because Coach Stoop, this is the year that Coach Stoop was coaching for his job, people. Well, his job, of course, is now safe, I guess. Uh, or was it last year? Yeah. Maybe it was last year he was coaching for his job. But it wasn't that long ago that he was coaching for his job. Exactly. But this is some good news for Kentucky people. Based on the date of this game, Georgia yeah. is favored by only 51%. So you're talking about a little bit better than a coin flip type of game. That's cool. You know, Georgia, and again, all it really means is Georgia definitely is the better team. You know, if you just look at how the offense has performed this year, the defense and all those other sort of factors. But they're going on the road against Kentucky, who is not that much different 
from a statistical standpoint between both these teams and in terms of the schedule and everything else like that. And if Kentucky gets the win, it's very, it's very possible for them to do that. They have the defensive pieces. Josh Allen, of course, uh, you know, he's a guy that everybody talks about, but, you know, he's a guy that I've been on a little bit earlier than most because, you know, there's this guy that was leading the team in tackles about two years ago, and I'm like, wow, this guy's pretty good with Josh Allen. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, like he's uh, – and he's really uh, kind of turned himself, in, you know, into sort of a, you know, three, four outside linebacker type, uh, you know, pass rusher guy, or at least a rushing – you know, linebacker kind of position or edge, whatever you want to call that position, you know. But he's done really well to kind of form that defense. You know, guys, you know, of course, Mike Edwards and all the other sort of guys, you know, Jordan Jones. Uh, there's a lot of different pieces there uh, that kind of work for them. And, and I, I think this is going to be a very interesting game because, you know, Kirby Smart – Either the one loss he had this year was very much just a SEC team just catching him off guard because that happens to the SEC. You know, the SEC kind of eats their, you know, eats each other up. You know, they kind of beat each other up. But I would not be surprised if Kentucky gets a victory because it's at home, and you know they're the dog in this fight, obviously. But uh, I I don't think that this is a uh, easy victory for Georgia. I think if they do win this game, it's it, they're going to have to play some really good football and they're going to have to call, you know, some of their best, uh, you know, some, some of their best games, you know, just in terms of um, beating this team because Kentucky's ready to play. You know, they got all the pieces they really need to be a really good contender. And uh, Georgia, although Georgia is still Georgia, I, I just think that they're, they're missing a little something extra that they had last year compared to this year. You know, defensively and offensively to a certain extent. Yeah. Well, two things. Um, as we used to, as we used to say in in our little corner of Jack Twitter, hey, you guys are watching the wrong Josh Allen. Uh, I remember somebody tweeting that out last year. Uh, I don't know if you or me, one of us, somebody in our little corner of Jack Twitter tweeted out that people, hey, you're watching the wrong Josh Allen. Uh, and we were kind of being, whoever was, one of us, maybe it was Pete Smith, some of us, somebody was being clever and snarky, but they were sort of right. Um, if you like Josh Allen that are likely to justify being taken in the first 20 or so picks of the NFL draft, Kentucky has the Josh Allen to watch. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting he's going to be Khalil Mack or Von Miller or Lawrence Taylor or whatever. Lately it's become cool to compare people to, you know, the most maximum comparison you can make. Um, but I think he's going to be really good. I think he's got, a, like, a combination of KJ Wright. I don't think he's a pure – I don't think he's a pure pass rusher. I think he can rush the passer. But I think he's – I think he can be a, a quote-unquote, real linebacker. Uh, I think he can play three, four outside linebacker. But I think he can also play four, three outside linebacker. I've seen him do real linebacker things, Jim. No, I've seen him do real linebacker things as well. I just, uh, I don't know. The linebacker position becomes so specialized now where, 
you know, if if you're a guy who only tackles people, then then you're this guy, and if you rush the passer, then you're this guy. When everybody kind of does a little bit of everything, you know, Troy Polamalu rushes the passer a little bit. You know, safety get in the like just because they do something doesn't mean uh, and they're good at it doesn't mean that they have to do that full time. Uh, I I just say from the perspective of um. You know, he can do a little bit of, you know, as a strong side linebacker, you know, he can pretty much do all the duties that that, that entails, you know, for that kind of position. Or even a will linebacker for that matter. You know, he's just a guy that you can kind of line up kind of anywhere in the position of linebacker and do well, you know, which is uh, you know, something that's, that's always interesting to kind of play with as a defensive coordinator. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So, in terms of other other games of import, there's a lot of them. Obviously, this is a sort of a separation Saturday, right? Is that a term that people like to use? <laughs> um, I, I remember the term that used to be banded about separation Saturday. Uh, this does have a separation Saturday feel to it in that a lot is about to happen. Um, by by this time tomorrow, we will know a lot more than we knew coming into this. Uh, but, yeah, let me, um, I mean, it's going to be a super emotional meeting of two five and three Big Ten teams between Michigan State and, and, and Maryland. And I'll be honest, I would not want to play Maryland right now. I think they are going to be stupid, crazy jacks for this game, actually. Um, I don't know if that's going to be enough for them to beat Michigan State, but I will be less than surprised if they beat Michigan State. I will not be a tiny bit surprised if they beat Michigan State, come to think of it. Yeah, and that's another game where, uh, data-wise, Michigan State's only favored by 51%. I'm not at all surprised to hear that. Not at all. Uh, I don't know if a team that is as inconsistent as Syracuse could ever truly be on upset alert, but if they can be, they should be. Uh, wait for it. You know those teams that you can pencil in at least one win that they don't doesn't seem like they should be able to achieve, but somehow they do. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, Wake Forest I, is, uh, I mean, Wake Forest has been an interesting story this year just because, you know, they go into the Florida State game uh, where I thought they had a chance, you know, to kind of do well, and, of course, they, they get blown out. Uh, they go to Louisville, uh, and they kind of deal with them pretty handily because uh, Louisville is just not great this year. It's one of those teams that's just not good. Uh <laughs> in the ACC and, uh, and Wake Forest kind of beat up on them. Uh, but, but yeah, Syracuse and Wake Forest, I think will be, that's very, uh, it'd be a very interesting game uh, to kind of track because uh, you kind of don't really know what you're getting with either one of these teams. You know, Wake Forest is a team that kind of started out a little strong, kind of hit a bump and stuff. Syracuse, uh, is kind of kind of got you know a little a couple victories here and there that people didn't expect them to get. So you're kind of seeing if, if Syracuse kind of regresses back to where 
they should be or if they keep doing what they're doing and get a victory. But I definitely think that's another game that kind of will separate things in the ACC. Okay. Here's a game that is of great interest, even though the two teams are both five and three. Obviously, you have, I guess, something of a rooting interest, but uh, the, the Plainsmen, Tigers, slash War Eagles are facing the Aggies in a game where both teams are expected to, well, obviously, I think Texas A&M is sort of a year ahead of schedule, and then Auburn is maybe, I don't know, a year off schedule, but uh, I think people are expecting more from Auburn, though I'm not entirely certain why. But people always expect Auburn. more from Auburn. Yeah, right, because of Auburn, right, right. So, yeah, uh, what does the data say about those two teams and their direction uh, going forward? Well, I mean, that's another interesting one. That that's, that honestly was a game that's very similar to LSU-Alabama, where A&M was favored initially, but when you look at where the game is going to be played, it's going to be played at Auburn. Yep. Um, so, you, so you're going to have that factor. And just to put this into perspective, just from a statistical standpoint, home teams typically win, uh, not, not taking anything into account, home teams typically win uh, about 60% of the time in college football. Um, and most upsets happen on the road. Now, that isn't surprising, but that's just, you know, something to throw out there. So, you know, Auburn is at home. Um, they have struggled a bit offensively. Defensively, they're not as as uh, robust as they were last year, but they, they're pretty decent. I mean, their defense has – the weirdest thing about Auburn is that with Gus Malzahn being kind of this, you know, seen as this offensive wizard and a lot of other sort of things, which, you know, he definitely has you know, the ability to, to set up his offensive schemes and, and do what he needs to do. But um, Auburn's defense has consistently been pretty decent uh, over the years, uh, but their offense has just struggled. Um, and Jared Stidham, for as much first-round hype as he's gotten up to this point, still has at this point. You can still find <laughs> mock drafts occasionally that have Jared Stidham there. Uh, he's just not a, a first-round quarterback. He, he, you know, he struggles. I start getting interested in Jared Stidham somewhere in the middle of the third round is where I start getting intrigued by Jared Stidham. I never yeah, quite got me. Because he's such a unproven entity. I mean, I, as you know, though, I, I, the reason I don't like Josh Allen and these other sort of quarterbacks is I, as much as people go, it's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like this. You know, I, I went to Europe um, very recently, which is why I haven't been here. You know, talking to you, uh, you know, for about two months. Sure. And we went to Florence, and we and we saw a lot of Michelangelo's. Um, sculptures and stuff, where he literally took rocks and, and turned it into these like beautiful statues and stuff like that. And, and don't he yeah, very definitely. Yeah. Do you know the quote? I guess you know the quote where someone said it was about the David, uh, David or whatever, and someone asked him, you know, yeah. oh, he said, oh, it was all, the, the David was always there, I just took away the excess. Exactly. Yeah, they, they, were, they were talking about that, which I thought was so cool because, you know, this is a guy, obviously his ego was huge, but, hey, if you're able to do something like that, your ego should be huge, you know? Like, you're able to 
take that right. thing and then you just you turn it into this masterpiece. There are definitely coaches out there who can take a piece of rock and turn it into a masterpiece. Are there that many of them? No, because there's only so many Michelangelo's. There's only so many coaches that can you know do that type of thing. And um, I I do understand Jared Stidham has a lot of these sort of qualities and stuff that people can look at and go, well, if you just had the right coach in the right situation, you know, you could turn them into this, you know, special thing. But there's only so many guys out there that can do that. So that's my biggest issue with, with Stidham is just he he definitely has the ability to, to do some really impressive throws, but he just doesn't do them consistently enough. His pocket presence usually is all over the place. And that's surprising for a guy who's playing at Auburn where it's a pre- predominantly run-heavy offense as well, um, which always kind of bugs me too. But, uh, but, yeah, Auburn's offense has just not been that decent this year. And the biggest problem with Auburn in general is that you know, a lot of people in Alabama, because I'm here, you know, kind of want Gus Malzahn to be gone, but to fire him would cost – millions of dollars like uh, I think I'm not 100% sure but it was like in the, the 10 plus range you know, in it's terms a of lot overall, that's a lot fire him this year so I think Gus Malzahn keeps his job this year even if the, if the team doesn't finish as well as they should but I do think that next year will be the year where if if things are going the way that Auburn fans think it should then uh, you know there's going to be then you know, there's going to be a new coach in, in Auburn. Yeah, I definitely think that's a possibility this year, not so much. But in this particular game, I do think Auburn has the best chance of getting the victory here. A uh, and M still has a chance to win this game. I mean, A and M is the better team. Uh, you know, they have the better offense uh, and everything. But I do think that Auburn's defense should be able to slow them down a bit. And uh, get a, I think Auburn should have a chance to get a closer victory here. Yeah, uh, here's something I never thought I'd say. I trust Kellen Mond more than I trust, um, but I do. Uh, and part of, once again, maybe some of this is, is Jimbo. Some of this is just obviously Kellen Mond has worked his butt off to become a better college quarterback uh, than he was. Of course, I mean. In fairness to him, he was very raw when he first got there, and mm-hmm. he was a guy who might end up moving to another position, quite frankly. So it impresses me how he's become a legitimate passer. Kellen Mond is a legitimate threat from the pocket, and I'm I'm good. I'm fully willing to admit I never thought I'd be saying that. Yep. Moving on down the line, uh, there's a lot of us uh, sticking within the SEC once more. Uh, Ole Miss, obviously they could have fallen off the map, forgotten, whatever you want to call it, but they are facing the Gamecocks who at one point were a sexy dark horse pick, the Gamecocks, uh, to win the SEC East. Once again, for reasons I'll never completely understand, uh, some people were really on them early. 
take me through Ole Miss and uh, the Gamecocks, South Carolina. Well, this is man, this is another one of those tough, tough games because Ole yeah, Miss had a chance. Ole Miss had a chance to assert themselves, particularly against Auburn. You know, they they Auburn played them um, on the road. Um, so there, there was a chance that Mississippi could have, uh, you know, basically if Mississippi had beat Auburn, you know, at home, it would have really done a lot to kind of show that, hey, this is a team that uh, is going in the right direction, you know, after all the kind of mess that they had to deal with. But uh, they didn't. <laughs> you know, uh, Auburn handily won that game. Uh, and, that, of course, that was Auburn after, a, you know, upset against Tennessee. So they obviously had a little bit of extra something, something to prove. But um, I like this Ole Miss team on offense. I think, you know, the quarterback they have there and, and Jordan. Uh, yeah. 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 So he's, he's so played very well this year. Here's the crazy thing. At one point, I can't remember the name of the. There was some youth league um, in the part, the same part of Hawaii, but the same youth league. They didn't play all in the same high school district, but at one point in the same youth league, at the same time, you had Tonga Tavolo, McKinsey Milton, and Jordan Tiamu, all in the same youth league. And at one point, you had McKinsey Milton and Tonga Tavolo on the same youth league team when they were like 12. Mm. How crazy is that? Very crazy. But, I mean, it's one thing that uh, happens in first, South Florida or some town in Texas. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is in, you know, some suburb in Hawaii. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but Hawaii is a smaller state, so... It's, yeah. Uh, well, you it's, you may know like you know the most. Yeah. I was gonna say, in terms of per capita, the the place that actually produced the most NFL talent per capita is um, Samoa, American Samoa per capita. Like you take the population density or number of people that are there, and and discover how many people have made it to the NFL. It's Samoa. Samoa wins. Samoa wins. <laughs> Because there's not a lot of Samoans, but a disproportionately high number of Samoans play in the NFL. Yep. yep. That's, a, that's surprising. But uh, but I do like Ole Miss's offense. I think, you know, <clears throat> Jordan's played very well. Uh, A.J. Brown, of course, at wide receiver, is someone that uh, I know there's a lot of fans of. I don't really get the top ten hype with him per se, but I do think he's a he's a it's, it's, it's just it's it's just eyeball scouting, right? It's like, oh ooh, yeah. he looks like a pitch. <laughs> That's what that is. Ooh, look at him. Yeah. Ooh, his, look at his dude. Look at his look at his exactly. But the problem the problem Yeah. He does look the part. But the, pro- but the problem in this game is that Mississippi doesn't have a defense. So, if South Carolina has a fairly decent offense this year, I mean, Brian Edwards at wide receiver is someone that um, I've been kind of a fan of since his sophomore year. 
Uh, Debo Samuel is, uh, you know, a decent kind of slot guy uh, that can kind of get the job done. Uh, and the defense of South Carolina is a little bit better. I mean, all the data favors South Carolina in this game by about 54%. But it's just because of Mississippi, because of Ole Miss's offense, you could too, Victor, just because if they can out-offense South Carolina, you know, get basically a kind of a back-and-forth, back-and-forth type of game, then Ole Miss definitely can win this game. Um, but if South Carolina is able to kind of slow Ole Miss down to a certain extent, um, take the plays that they need to and the, the spots they need them to take, then, uh, then, then you know, they definitely could go. Um, South Carolina is more, more likely. So I would say South Carolina more likely wins this game, but Ole Miss definitely has a chance on the, you know, at home. Okay. Yeah. I- Once again, South Carolina's been on the list of schools I just don't trust. So I I rarely, if there's even a chance, I rarely pick them. I just have, I don't know why it is. There's only teams I just can't ever seem to buy into. Pretty much ever. Uh, So, you know, of course if they win this game, I'll just have to be wrong. I'm always good with being wrong when it comes to South Carolina. I'm good with that. I I just can't trust that team. I remember, you know, watching them throughout the years and all the excitement when Lou Holtz came there and then all the excitement when Steve Spurrier came there. And a, a similar-ish level of excitement, I guess, greeted uh, Coach Muschamp. I mean, but, but I, once again, I'll, I'll take a wait-and-see attitude, but I, when they start playing big games, I'll, I'll believe it. Uh, making our way through the SEC schedule. A game that probably looks sexier, you know, earlier in the season than it is now is Florida, which is just outside the top ten at the moment at 6-2 and two faces Missouri. Speaking of presumed first-round quarterback, uh, with Drew Locke, who some people had as their QB1 coming into this season. And once again, I'm not saying he's somewhere in the I mean, to me, he's more in the second-round discussion based on what I've seen, but a lot of people still have him in the first. Take me through that game, and what does the data say about Florida versus the the other Tigers, the, yet another Tigers, with, yeah, as you see, the, the, the ones out there on the, the Plains, which the real Plains, uh, well, I shouldn't say the real Plains, but I guess the Plains men are on a different kind of Plains, but these are the Plains of the, of the Midwest, so they're in the SEC in Missouri. Right. Well, most of the data, I mean, all the data really is for Florida. You know, Florida has right. about a 74% chance of winning um, this particular game. Because it's at home as well. Uh, if it was at Missouri, it might make it a little bit tighter, but I think Florida would still win even if it was at Missouri. I, you know, Florida, I like many aspects of the team. I think their wide receiver positions are interesting. You know, guys like Tyre Cleveland and, um, uh, of course, at the pass rush position, uh, you know, Polite as the edge rusher has been the guy that's gotten a lot of um, hype this year with good reason. You know, he's a guy that has shown a lot of – he's one of those guys, those gators 
every year uh, there's a Florida pass rusher. It seems like that kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, yeah. People kind of get on to. Everybody's top 25. Yes. After he produces right. a little bit. Not a lot. A little bit. Yeah. And that's been him this year. He's produced a little bit. You know, he's he's produced kind of similar to, uh, you know, the Carl Davis, you know, to a certain extent. Not Carl Davis, but uh, Carl Lawson, um, you know, yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, kind of how he's been producing this year, which is not bad. Uh, but Missouri, I mean, it all comes down to Drew Locke. Drew Locke has not been great this year. And nope. he's one of those quarterbacks that, you know, I, I did a lot of, going into the year, I did a lot of profiles on a lot of quarterbacks. And career data is actually a big indicator. You know, how well you perform over the course of your career can say a lot about your potential data for level. And Locke was one of those guys where the chances of him becoming a pro bowler were very, very low. The chances of him becoming all pro bowler were very, very low. And he was a guy that he did have a upper trajectory in terms of his data, you know, meaning that he was kind of really bad. And then he kind of got a little bit above average. But this year, he just kind of regressed, regressed back to what he was. You know, he didn't take another step from a statistical standpoint. And I don't trust those guys, especially in the first round. So I, I do understand there's a lot of mocks where they have three, four quarterbacks, you know, going in the I, – I, I mean, I think it's nuts. But I have seen a lot of mock drafts recently where it's – there's like three now, or four quarterbacks in the first Christian Ponder went in the first round, but I mean, that's what you want. If you want to no. go down the Emmanuel Christian Ponder path, Josh Allen, uh, I mean, we can all but think of that. But this is the thing, though, Bill. Like, like Josh, the story is still not over with Josh Allen, obviously. I mean, the injury, you know, we'll see what happens next year, but even before injury, Josh Allen was a 50% completion percentage guy in the NFL. Like, that doesn't count. It surprised no one who watched Josh Allen play quarterback. <laughs> it shouldn't surprise you. But, like, when are people going to learn their lessons? Probably never. But I just feel like with Locke, I mean, I, I hate to put this on the Broncos because the Broncos just seem to be that team where – Kind of to, they kind of go after these types of guys. You know, he's a big, tall quarterback with a big arm. He might be the next whatever, you know. And if you don't have they're still, to looking, to really... they're still looking for John Elway. But the difference is John Elway checked all the boxes. You would think that John Elway would know that. <laughs> but I don't think he does. <laughs> I think in John Elway's mind, he made it just because he had a rocket arm and he just fought and clawed his way to, you know, being a great, uh, and I'm a quarterback, but he was a really great player at Stanford and became a you know, good player in the NFL. But I just feel like with with Locke, I, he's not a first-round quarterback. And this year in particular, at, at this point, not going through any more – because, again, there's a lot of one-year wonders this year, which are guys that I really don't like projecting as first-rounders anyway, you know. Yep. I feel like about this entire yeah. this entire year has been no, the quarterbacks that are decent, really good, are one year wonder guys. The guys that have always been yeah. consistent, but they never really were first round guys, but they're consistent. You know, guys like 
second round, third round kind of guys. There's a couple of those guys, you know, Ryan Finley, you know, a couple of different guys like that. Uh, but if you're talking about like a guy that you're willing to bet your job on, there's nobody like this. Nobody like that in this class. Even even a guy like Justin Herbert, uh, who is kind he's, of he's my best, of a, the number eighteen prospect overall right now. I mean, I I like him in the second yeah. half of the first. I don't like yeah. him in the top. Five. I don't like him in the top ten. Exactly, but Locke is just that guy that you know he wasn't really that great last year, and he's regressed this year. And I don't see any reason why you would continue to put a guy like that high, you know, in terms of the draft. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just nuts, you know. And I don't think people will ever learn their lesson, you know. I think even if you go, well, I told you about Josh Allen, they go, well, Drew Locke's different. Why is he different? Well, because he plays in the SEC. It'll just never end, you know. So you think Josh Allen couldn't have played in the SEC? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> is that what you're telling oh. me? If Will or Joe Burrow might possibly see, be seen as a, as a savior to a program, you're going to tell me that Josh Allen couldn't have played in the SEC? When people were trying to oh, tell me that Jake Sidney could be a first-round draft pick because he played in the SEC. That was the, re- the only possible reason. Someone, if Jake Bentley is at Central Michigan, no one's trying to sell me on him right. as the first round draft pick. That's very true. Very true. But Locke just hasn't been playing well. You know. No. So I I just don't see Missouri upsetting anybody when the quarterback plays that bad. You know? Right. Like it right. just is not going to happen. Especially when their offense is so quarterback dependent. Yes. I mean, they're not Wisconsin. You know what I mean? They're not an offense where they're kind of built for the quarterback to be met. Definitely. I'm almost convinced that's what they like at Wisconsin. I'm almost convinced of it. I mean, I thought maybe after the Russell Wilson experience, they were like, oh, that's what it's like to have a good quarterback and maybe might change their their ways in terms of recruiting or whatever. But no, they went right back to being with Cubs. Yep. Well, I think that pretty much does it for the SEC. Let me just make sure I'm not forgetting somebody. Uh, you know, so now the SEC can say they've got some love for me because I don't want to spend all my life ignoring the SEC. Uh, the ACC, which is a conference that I, I I can enjoy more because it's usually a little more compelling, but maybe Clemson might be about to sort of prove that it's becoming the quote-unquote Alabama. The ACC will see. Uh, but usually, unlike Alabama, they usually will lose to, you know, they usually drop, not just lose a game, but they lose a game with someone that you wouldn't have guessed, you know, that they were not the team you would have expected. Uh, like, yeah, like Pitt or somebody. But, um, and of course, Pitt, we just discussed, won by 10 points over the inexplicably ranked uh, Virginia Cavaliers. And I, I mean, I'm from Virginia. I, I, I love to see Virginia do well and all that good stuff, but they have no business being ranked. I... They're a year ahead of schedule, first of all. Hats off to Bronco Mendenhall. I thought they were going to be 5, 7, 6, and 6. 
and they're probably going to be more like a seven, maybe even eight win team. So hats off to that. But I don't understand why they were ranked anyway. Uh, but uh, the ACC is, is usually more compelling. Uh, as we already mentioned, Syracuse is facing Wake Forest. Syracuse is another one of those teams that can beat anybody but can also lose to anybody. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if they went out and beat well, obviously they aren't going to beat Clemson this year, but it wouldn't have shocked me if they somehow could beat Clemson. But it also would have shocked me the kind of way to lose to Louisville. You know what I mean? Like they, they're that team. Yeah. Yep. Wake Forest is fighting for its opportunity to to get to bowl eligibility, which how I'm to put this and not sound insulting. Wake Forest knows what it is the program, and they know that. Seven and five, six and six, and then if things go well, eight and four is sort of where they should have their sights set, and they rightly treat coaches in such a way that if hey you get us bowl eligible two years out of three, three years out of four, you can stay here. <laughs> you know, um, you do that, you can stay here. You can write a fairly long, stable career as a head coach at Wake Forest if you can win 6.5, you know, average 6.5 wins a year, you're going to be here for a nice long time. Mm-hmm. And people forget, I mean, people use the term small school. In terms of actual uh, size of, of undergraduate enrollment, I think they're the third smallest in the entire FBS. I think only Tulsa and one of the service academies. I can't remember which one it is. Maybe Air Force is actually smaller in terms of enrollment in the entire FBS than Wake Forest. But I'm assuming the numbers state Syracuse in that game, though you, you said Wake Forest has a chance to pull the upset? Uh, well, if you say has a chance, I mean, everybody has a chance, though. So. You know what uh, I mean. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I know what you mean. Uh, I mean... <laughs> I mean, it's it's about I mean looking at Syracuse it's about eighty three percent chance Syracuse wins. Right. Okay, um, enough that. But it's not bad. I mean, you know, it, but again, this is the thing I keep. This is the thing that opens my eyes most to like college football is you, you have to understand the power of playing on the road. You know, like emotions get high. Like you know, anything can happen. Like there is no. Um, you know, after, after most of the data stuff I do, I'm collecting, you know, enough data that goes back to 2000, you know, like the 2000 college football season. And um, even teams that are so overly matched, yeah, you know, you're talking like a team that's, that's just ridiculous. Uh, you know, like, a, well, maybe, not, maybe not like the you know, 2001 Miami or whatever, but, you know, teams are just really, really great going up against a really bad team. Even in those instances, and they're playing at home against those really bad teams, there's still about a 0.2 chance of losing, you know, even in those circumstances. Like, there is no 100% chance of, of winning in anything in college football, um, whether at right. home or on the road. It's just that on the road kind of raises the stakes. So, you know, Syracuse, yeah, more likely is going to win this game, but uh, you, you can't underestimate the power of playing on the road at times, you know. So, you know. Okay. But that, that's all I can Moving really say. And that's with any team, you know. Moving on. 
Here's a, a phrase, once again, I don't think many of us thought we'd be saying. Does Florida State have a chance against NC State? Um, it's been probably, I don't know how far back you have to go, probably somewhere bay, way back into the mid-'70s or maybe, I bet no time since maybe 1979, maybe. has probably the last, Yeah, because 79, NC State was good. I remember that they had a uh, center who was an All-American named Jim Richard who went on to play several years at the um, um, – he was on the – he became Jim Kelly's center with the uh, Buffalo Bills. It was better than Florida. Of course, Florida State was even in the ACC. I know that. So, but I remember it was probably better than Florida State. Probably the last time that was true was probably almost 40 years ago. But mm-hmm. uh, NC State is 5-2. and two. Uh, They have another one of the quarterbacks that a lot of people had as a – had a first-round grade on, which, once again, is a guy that interests me somewhere in the maybe early third. I'd start getting interested in Ryan Finley. Yeah. Uh, okay, so take me through the numbers and take me through what you see as Florida State faces the impact, the whoops back of uh, NC State. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't feel good about this game the same way I didn't feel good about the Virginia game. Okay. 100%. Well, because, you know, Virginia was a team that based on all the data was favored by about 87%. Obviously, they lost. Yeah. Uh, even though they probably should have won that game. Uh, and in this game in particular, it's even more higher stakes. It's about 95% chance North Carolina State wins this game. But Florida State bugs me because there's, there's a team that, you know, they, they've been really bad this year. They've also had some, you know, interesting games where they kind of, show glimpses of what they were or could be, you know, that type of thing. Uh, yep. So it, it's just one of those games where, like, even the North Carolina State, again, is heavily favored. You know, it's at home. It's at NC State. And NC State has played a lot better this year than Florida State. But yep. uh, I just don't feel well just because of the team, for, you know, in Florida State, you know, and how they've, they've, they've shown glimpses of what they – could be, should be, whatever. Um, May I I perform a glib piece of reductio ad absurdum analysis with the kind of stuff you normally get on talk radio? So if Florida State can win on the first two downs on defense and force NC State into certain points where they can pin their ears back, as people like to say, and let Brian Burns and, and others. I mean, people talk about Brian Burns, but they have other players on that defense that are actually pretty good players. They haven't always showed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they can somehow keep young DeAndre Francois from earning his purple badge of courage yet again, good Lord in heaven, that poor young man. Um, that seems like they're, you know, that path to success. If they can somehow not have their quarterback look like you know, somebody leaving the, you know, the the the, the frozen chosen field of, of you know the Korean War or something, and if they can essentially stop, you know, NC State, which is one more interesting offense. Uh, Coach Drinkwitz. First of all, I think they're going to lose him soon. I mean, those people talk about, you know, offensive blah blah blah. His name doesn't come up nearly enough, Jen. Eli Drinkwitz is one of the most mm. interesting designers and play callers in college football. And if you're 
getting all warm and runny about some of the guys out there who are really smart, fantastic, whatever. I mean, Lincoln Riley is the flavor of the month, obviously. But not in my mind, not far behind him is Eli Drakewood, the offensive coordinator at NC State, who's doing more with less, or doing more, doing as almost as much with less, maybe not more, but doing almost as much with way less than what's happening with uh, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can agree with that. Okay, so I won't be shocked. Uh, moving on down the line, if somehow Florida State pulls the upset, if then once again, if you just go player by player, position by position. You know, it seems funny to be me asking the question. Uh, Florida State, once again, with Dom over here, but I'm sure they've got probably a, what, probably two or three to one uh, edge in four and five-star players. Uh, so it's interesting. Here's another game that just smells of upset. Uh, number 22 ranked Boston College is facing Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech seems to play up and down to this level of competition as much as any team in the country. Yeah. They are ending the like Oh, I love Virginia Tech, but my God, are they a scary team to, I mean, you know, like, you just don't have, you have no idea what you're about to see every time you, I've watched Virginia Tech more than anybody else. I don't else. get it. I don't understand. I, don't understand. <laughs> I mean, Who are they them? lost the Old Dominion. This year, yes, Bill. Yes, I watched that game. I tweeted it live. I watched it. Once again, I my college team played its home games at all Old Dominion's campus with Old Dominion have a football team. You know what I mean? Like this is such a surreal experience for me. Virginia Tech, which is usually the best team in the state of Virginia, with you know a lot of room to spare, except for the years when Virginia is really, really good. You know, George Welsh had some years in Virginia was really, really good, but. Generally, Virginia Tech is the champion of the state of Virginia in terms of football. Old Dominion, for, for most of my life, didn't have a football team. So yeah. it, was just, it was just the most surreal thing, watching that game live. The same Virginia Tech that manhandled Florida State, Jim. Manhandled them. They didn't squeak out a victory against Florida State. They beat them up physically on both sides of the ball. Manhandled Florida State with all its four- and five-star recruits, all of its parade All-Americans, all of its all of its whatever, got manhandled by Virginia Tech. The same Virginia Tech that couldn't have no answers for the second-string quarterback at Old Dominion, Blake LaRusso. <laughs> right. Crazy. Just crazy. What a crazy, it is crazy, crazy team. I just don't know what it they are. And they don't know what they are. Like, it's okay for you and I not to know. It's not okay for them not to know. I know the coaches don't know what they're going to get when they send that team out on the field. They have no idea what they're about to see. Yeah. But, I mean, Boston College is favored by... Well, Boston College is favored by 80%. Yeah, 80% chance of, of winning. Um, but, like you said, Bill, it's Virginia Tech. You know, 
Now, I, I will say this, though. They didn't, it, it didn't look so well. I think, uh, was it Georgia Tech? Was that when Georgia Tech got the big win over, over Virginia Tech? Um, yeah, Georgia Tech. It's, it's a, pick one. They, they right. lost some games that were just inexplicable. Where they, they got dominated by Georgia Tech. That was, once again, not a pretty even compelling game. And of course, no offense to Ryan Willis. I mean, not this. I want to put it all on Ryan Willis because he's played very well at times this year. But that was not one of his best games. Uh, no. Just, yeah, strange team. Just a. Georgia Tech shows you all the weaknesses this team can have on defense, the same way that the Florida State game showed you all the strengths of the team out of defense. And even more of the ODU game, which people sort of wrote off as a fluke, the Georgia Tech thing was no fluke. I mean, you know, like we – Georgia Tech doesn't sneak up on anybody. You kind of know what they're about to come and do. You know, it's not like, it's not like you don't know what Georgia Tech's going to do. Georgia Tech tells you what they're going to do pretty much. We're going to, you know, run the ball more than anybody else in college football, even more than the service academies, you know. I mean, or at least up there with the service academies. I mean, they, they run the ball. I don't remember what the number is, but it was it 92% of their offensive plays or run plays? Is that is that about right? Um, I mean, Army is more run heavy this year. Okay, Army. Uh, okay, Army. More than all but one service academy. <laughs> okay, so they run the ball more than everybody but Army. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think Boston College gets this win just because Virginia Tech lost handily to Georgia Tech. But, yep. uh, But if they don't, then they don't. But I, I just feel like it's – I don't know. I just feel like Boston College is just a more consistently better team this year. You know, like yeah, – uh, Yeah, yeah. But then who's more inconsistent than, than, than Virginia Tech? They may be the most inconsistent team in the country. Or we'll say one of them. Which is so weird because even when they weren't super, super good under – well, whatever. Uh, I'm not going to lay this at the feet of, 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 of anybody. I mean, Coach Fuente is a terrific coach. I, it's just a weird check. A little stuff to do it. Moving on in the ACC. Here's a game that is sort of sneaky sexy, uh, both for draft purposes, for those who like to watch possible players that will go in the draft, as well as just an interesting matchup. Duke-Miami. Uh, both teams are five and three. Both teams have looked good at times, and both teams look bad at times. Obviously, once again, the, the talent check mark. If you're just looking at four and five star dudes, though, with the gap has narrowed as Duke has started getting some Dylan McCaffrey's and stuff like that, which didn't used to happen back in the day at Duke. Duke's got some four stars, you know, which didn't used to didn't used to happen. Uh, but still, obviously, Miami still has the you know the clear lead in terms of four- and five-star, highly touted type dudes. Take me through this game. Uh, who should win this game and why? Well, I mean, this is 
I mean, so far Miami is favored seventy one percent at home. Right. Um, Duke has been a weird team this year because I mean it's not it's not that they're weird. It's just you know Daniel Jones as the quarterback has, has put up some really big games. Yeah. Um, but they've had. I mean, last week in particular, the loss against Pittsburgh, which was – it was a game that Pittsburgh, honestly, Duke should have won, you know. They were up in that game, and then yep. Pittsburgh did some Pittsburgh things, and then boom. Uh, you know, yeah. You, you know, you ended up losing. Uh, so, I mean, Miami definitely has a lot more four-star, five-star talent, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think Daniel Jones is what keeps Duke in the game. Like, if Duke is going to win this game um, on the road, I think Daniel Jones will do a lot to be the reason as to why, you know, uh, because of the offense of Duke. But uh, if the defense of Duke can't really hold its water, then I do think Miami gets his victory. So I would say, you know, data-wise, 71% does favor Miami. But uh, I do think that Duke has shown this year that they can go on the road against fairly decent teams and get the, and get wins. So I, I think this will that will definitely be one of the uh, games to watch in terms of the, the uh, ACC. Okay. Yeah, I, I I'll be interested to see how this game turns out. I think a lot we'll learn a lot about both teams in this game. And obviously, you know, I'm a – I like both coaches, first of all. I'm a huge fan of David Cutcliffe. I never understood why bigger, big programs, whether it would go or not is all of the question, but why big programs or bigger programs didn't come looking for him darn near every year. Like, I never understood why he wasn't going to, hey, make him tell you no. <laughs> because he's a terrific coach. I mean, he wins eight games with guys that most coaches win five games with. I, I don't know how else to put it. He's worth about three games a year. How many college coaches can you say are worth two or three games a year? He's worth two or three games every year, Jim. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> moving on down the line. Um, So in the Big Ten, which I think a lot of us agree was the most compelling top-to-bottom conference in terms of this particular year being competitive, um, Nebraska, in fact, was not a very compelling matchup. We'll be facing Ohio State. We don't spend a lot of time on that. I think I know what the numbers say about that one. And good luck to yeah. Frost. <laughs> I think he will turn around. I think he's the right hire. Um, not that he needs my. I think <laughs> yeah, Ohio State's angry over the Purdue loss, so you know they'll either exact their anger onto Nebraska or they make more mistakes and then lose to Nebraska. But I doubt that happens. Yeah, I. Yeah, I I have a feeling we're going to see the best 
version of Ohio State we've seen in a while, and it'll probably get ugly. Uh, but but I think that team will hang on. I just think that I think that that team has a lot of you know whatever grit, whatever term you want to use. Um, I think they're gonna fight like hell, but they just don't you know they don't have enough. They're sort of like Texas, only not even as good as Texas the year that that Charlie Strong you know, ran off a bunch of guys. They're sort of like in that similar situation, but not even as good as that team was. Uh, it's a, a a sharp turn in terms of culture that's taking place there. I think it's the best way to be able to put it. A sharp and dramatic change is being undergone there in terms of culture. And Scott Frost is laying down the law. And uh, not everybody wanted wanted what he's what what the frost is cooking, uh, but those that was it, was they say those that stay will be champions. I do believe that some of the younger guys on on that team will someday play for a Big Ten championship. Uh, should they, you know, make it through the whatever the crucible? Okay, here's a game that fascinates me. Everyone's talking about Michigan, Penn State. We will talk about that too. But here's a game that fascinates me. Fascinates me is Iowa Purdue. Now, obviously, everyone's saying you know let down Purdue's biggest win in I don't know forty years. I don't know um, forty years. I'm taking. I, I mean, this is the Drew Brees era. I mean, he made it to a Rose Bowl, you know, in the Drew Brees days. So, so obviously, not the biggest you know win in forty years or even twenty years, but it's the biggest. In more than ten, probably, and uh, and people wonder, you know, will they, you know, sort of show up and just sort of float through a nice, comfortable thirteen-point loss to Iowa, or will they be a different team than they? Is this a sea change? I guess what people are asking: Is this a truly different Purdue? Or is it a team that just had one tremendous smoky performance against Ohio State? Well, I'll ask you, which is more likely? Is Purdue going to be a problem for everyone from now on, at least for the foreseeable future, as long as Coach Brown is there? Or was that a sort of one-off? Um, I don't think it's a one-off. I think Purdue is a legit team. I just think you have to realize that uh, – I mean, you have to look at the circumstances. Um, in situations, and Ohio State went on the road against Purdue, and let's be honest, I don't think they expected Purdue to play the way they did. No, they clearly um, did not. They did not, uh, and I, I, I think Purdue is a legit team. I mean, I know they did lose to Michigan State, um, but that's going to happen in the Big Ten, and, uh, you know, Iowa is favored in this game. 51% though, you know, so again, this is not a super uh, easy game for Iowa to win, you know, like this is definitely going to be one of those kind of um, it could go either way type games, you know, with both these teams, but uh, I think Purdue's back, I mean, Purdue's not bad, um, Purdue has played well offensively, um, defensively, uh, they're, they're, do, they're doing enough to do what they need to do, Um so I don't think that it was just a fluke. I think Purdue is definitely is what it is. I just think um, 
when you look at the circumstances of situations, I just think the Big Ten is a lot more, there's a lot more parity in the Big Ten. Um, and as a result, you're going to have games that, uh, you know, that, that are going to happen like that. You're going to have a Purdue beating Ohio State. You're going to have a Northwestern beating, you know, any you know anybody really. Um, you know, like that's going to happen in the Big Ten. You know, because there's a lot more parity there than other conferences. Right. And speaking of parity, uh, Penn State, Michigan. And uh, Michigan scares me all the time. I mean, <laughs> like I, I, I'm sort of starting to begin to trust Michigan a little bit, but I would be completely not surprised if Penn State if they won this game by two touchdowns, I wouldn't even be surprised. I, I don't think that's what's going to happen, but I would not be a tiny bit surprised if that's what happened. So take me through this game. Uh, tell me, once again, well, is Michigan for real? You know, all the questions that you asked me about Michigan. And if indeed they somehow lose this game, what is, what, what is it that Penn State would have to do? Well, Michigan. I mean, Michigan is favored uh, by about eighty-two percent uh, to win at home. I mean, again, it's the biggest thing at home. But do I think that Michigan is going to win by fourteen points? No, um, I don't think that that's a possibility. I think even based on the data that I've seen so far, there's about a twenty. Seven percent chance that Michigan wins by more than fourteen. You know, um, so like I, I don't see that at all. I think it's definitely going to be a close game. Uh, is Michigan back? I mean, not necessarily. I mean, the biggest issue I have with the Big Ten at this point is it's it's such a it's a very competitive conference. There's a lot of great teams. But that's kind of the problem is because there's there's so much like I said I talked about parity, um, which I know you know take a drink I guess at this point. But <clears throat> when it comes to the Big Ten, I don't see any one of those teams really rising to the top as uh, other teams kind of beating up on them and kind of getting wins um, in in certain circumstances. So um, I do think Michigan wins this game. I don't think they win by. 14 or whatever. I really doubt that. I think it's definitely going to be a close game. Um, but ultimately, I uh, I don't really know how the Big Ten is going to look in the long term this year um, because uh, of, of, there's going to be a lot of – I think there's going to be a lot of two-loss teams in the Big Ten. Um, so I think that, that might hurt them in terms of when the playoff rolls around. Right. Yeah, I mean, like I, like I just said, I think if one of these teams was to win by two touchdowns, that team is more likely to take than, um, well, I mean, I, uh, I just, I don't know. I, I'm trying to buy into Michigan. I really am. And if they go ahead and win this game, even if it's pretty close, but, you know, win this game the way that most think they should, I, some of my... Uh, trepidation, I guess, about Michigan will start to recede into the, you know, into the the rear view or whatever. But for whatever reason, I just had I've had so much trouble 
like I said, just buy, buying in. So moving on down the line. Uh, you know, so since the – I'm going to look backwards a little bit on some of the games that already happened, and I'll just ask you if any of these were surprises to you before you move into the west of the uh, – what do you call it? West of the Mississippi uh, conferences. Uh, Big 12, rest of the Big 10, uh, Pac-12, and uh, anything else I'm forgetting. Um, I watched Kent State beat uh, Bowling Green, and that was an interesting game. Uh, both teams weren't very good, but you saw some fun stuff on offense. Another guy that draft Twitter has sort of discovered is Tyree Jackson, the big, super raw quarterback. I don't think he's the best pro prospect on the team, but I still think Anthony Johnson is by far the best pro prospect on that team uh, at Buffalo. But they they um, won a I want to say a nail biter, well nail nail biter ish game, fifty one forty two. Well, that's all that's about my games this year, though, Bill. I mean, yeah. Buff- yeah. Buffalo. You have to go back to Toledo last week, right? You know, Jackson throws three interceptions. They're yeah. down by multiple points. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, Buffalo gets upset, you know, this is going to happen, and then they come back and win it, you know. Like, that's Buffalo this year. Um, They dig themselves into a hole, and then they dig themselves out of it, you know. Correct. Um, uh, Toledo pounded Ball State in a game that I thought would be fairly close. (laughs) Um. But yeah, uh, I thought Toledo would win. I didn't think it would be a blowout, forty-five to thirteen, and uh, a game that turned out almost exactly like I thought it would. Northern Illinois beat Akron thirty-six twenty-six. That's almost exactly the, the game that I thought it would be. The score was almost exactly almost exactly what I thought it would be. Here's the biggest surprise, maybe of the whole max season to me so far. I thought this would be a gut-wrenching, you know, last-minute. Game, whoever had the ball last kind of game. Ohio blew out Western Michigan. Now, they were missing their starting quarterback, John Watson, who is, I think, maybe the best quarterback in the match, despite all the excitement around Tyree Jackson. Um, I, I was shocked that Ohio, I didn't think Ohio could score 59 points on almost anybody, first of all. Uh, they're not, but then they had a lot of short fields. So that was part of that. I mean, they, there was. His lamp, I don't think I've ever seen. I've been watching college football for all of 30, more than 37 years. And, uh, no, wait. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, more than 47 years, actually, if you want to start. My first, I saw my first college football game in 1970. So, more than, about 48 years. Good God. Um, so, I can't remember in all those years ever seeing back-to-back must kick off. Um, and that happened in that game. There was back-to-back must, must kick off. Now, I can't remember ever seeing that. So, I mean, a lot of that was, was Western Michigan giving that game away, but I, I was a shock with the outcome of that game. Shock. Western Michigan was the team that I, I thought would win a nail-biter. Uh, obviously, John Wastink being hurt. Uh, had something to do with that, but not everything. 
I was just shocked. Well, how that game you have to understand, Ohio was up 45-0 at halftime. Yes, I watched the game. <laughs> I, was, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And this is literally the, I mean, this is literally this game for Ohio. It was, you know, a touchdown on the opening drive. Western Michigan fumble. Yep. Ohio, Ohio touchdown. Punt touchdown. Punt missed field goal by Ohio. Interception by Ohio. They get the ball yep. back, touchdown. Fumble, field goal. Fumble, touchdown. Touchdown, fumble, into half. Like, yes. Western yes. Michigan literally just gave them gave the game away. Yes. You know. I, I, I watched that, and I, I've never seen – I've been watching Mac football since – I think I saw their original Maction broadcast. Yeah. I think I saw the original because it was the first live college game that ES, – I was a big ESPN – I literally watched ESPN sign off. I'm not joking when I say that. I watched George Grand and – was it Tom Meade and George Grand who signed on originally? You may have to fact check me, but I think it might have been Tom Meese and George Grant who signed on in 1979 for what looked like like a radiology lab at a veterans hospital. Uh, it was a very different operation in those days. But I was such a, you know, I mean, I was obsessed with sports. And I heard they were going to be all sports. I didn't even know what they were going to have on. Like, nobody did. But I watched them sign on. I watched the original ESPN broadcast of the first book in 1979. Watched it. Um, so I watched Irish hurling. I watched, um, obviously, a lot of CFL. I watched, uh, you know, Australians. I watched all that stuff. Billiards, dude, I was obsessed. So I watched a lot of ESPN about this. This is where ESPN had, you know, all the stuff they had, all the bells and whistles. They had a lot of sports. Um, and I remember the first Mac broadcast. I watched it. And I was like, oh, man, because you, you understand, I had never seen these teams before, except when they made it to a bowl game or something. And you couldn't. Like, I, I don't, it's hard to explain how different the world was in those days. Too. You, you, if, when Brian Cox was, was tearing it up and John Offerdahl was tearing it up, I was dependent upon bothering pro scouts. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, bothering them, writing them letters and whatever, and, I mean, just bothering to find out, you know, what does what Brian Cox look like? I mean, because you couldn't, you couldn't see the Mac. They didn't, nobody broadcast Mac football outside of the, maybe the local area. I'm sure there was some sort of local broadcast hookup for, you know, I guess the Mac, you know, area. But if you didn't live in that area, you just couldn't see the Mac. So I was jazzed, mm-hmm. man. But um, I can't remember ever seeing Western Michigan look that bad, and I've been watching Western Michigan for a long, long time. Just mind-boggling. They're usually one of the best, even without P.J. Flex, they're usually one of the best coach teams. And, you know, when Coach Cubitt was there, I mean, they've been well-coached for a long, long time. Shocking. Um, just a mind-boggler. Uh, Temple UCF, that was another sort of upset alert kind of game. Uh, Temple, Temple Tough, obviously, as they, they sort of call themselves, and they say it because it's true. So if you beat Temple, you, you deserve a win. We already talked about Pittsburgh and Virginia. Uh, Middle Tennessee, once again, I cannot get anybody to pay any attention to Brent Stockstill. 
Uh, he's not quite Nick Mullins because he's not quite as athletic and his arm isn't quite as strong. But, it, but so I don't think he's going to have quite that kind of career trajectory. But I think he could be an NFL backup and a good one. He's super, super smart. And, you know, coaches, kids, the whole deal, right? Right. Uh, Gritty plays, he's played through a litany of injuries in his five years at Middle Tennessee State. But I, he doesn't have a cannon for an arm. He's probably going to measure out at six feet and a quarter, maybe six feet and three-eighths on a good day and 203 pounds probably. I mean, nobody's going to like him, but I'm telling you, the kid can play football, Jim. Mm-hmm. I just wish somebody would watch Brent <laughs> besides me. But he's a and, me, and probably um, Steve. I'm sure Steve. You know, the kid can play. He really is almost like a perfect West Coast offense back and forth. That you know, I know no one. No, I like I like Stockdale. Oh, okay. I like Thank him you, for Jim. a while. Thanks, thanks for talking me about I've known about him for um, a while. Yes, yes. I, I, I'm a fan. I'm probably more of a fan than I should be. Moving, moving on. Um, I mean, I'll get, I guess we don't have to discuss Rutgers with Contazolo. Sort of just move on. Nothing to see here. Here's the, here's uh, the thing about that game, though, Bill. Here's the thing about oh, that okay. game. Okay. I'm not calling the upset. Because uh-huh. it would just be, I don't know. It, it's just because, again, Wisconsin's favored by about 99.99%. Okay. Right. Because, but, because Rutgers are terrible. They're terrible. But here's the thing. Wisconsin's quarterback is hurt. Yes. And I'm not Rutgers. Sure that's a bad thing, but okay, continue. It doesn't mean. I mean, okay. I, I, I'm just making the case here. That's all I'm. That's right. all I'm doing. Um, I got Rutgers has played really bad this year. Obviously, I mean, it's yeah. not surprising. But you look at how Rutgers played Northwestern to where Northwestern almost lost that game. You know, yeah. at Rutgers. Uh, this is of course is at Wisconsin, but. There is a chance, maybe a very minor chance, but again, college, college is a very emotional type game. Right. Um, True. Rutgers has played terrible this year, but there might have been enough of a spark from that Northwestern game. They carry that into Wisconsin. Wisconsin's kind of reeling from the quarterback being down. They're like, oh, our Big Ten chances are over. Our quarterback is done. Well, you're, whether he was healthy or not, your chances were done. Sure. But, you know, like, you know, have that situation where, you know, they're kind of mourning the loss of, of a comrade, so to speak. And then Rutgers, you know, plays them a lot tougher than they think. And then, boom, you know, Rutgers gets the win. Is that likely to happen? No. But that's the only thing I really want to watch in that game is how well Rutgers plays in that game with Wisconsin kind of reeling and stuff. Wisconsin should win that game. Like, you know, again, they're a very run-centric team. Um, you know, they can just run the football down their throat and win the game easily uh, and not throw the football at all. They can honestly just run it 70 times in that game. But uh, that's the that's the one game I'm kind of interested just to see what happens just because of that little dynamic. It's a very minor dynamic, but it's, it's, it's a dynamic, you know. Right. I got you. 
I got you. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that can at least be an interesting, compelling something there. Uh, let's see. We'll see. Georgia State and Texas State. Probably don't need to discuss that one either. Uh, Eastern Michigan, Central Michigan. Uh, Central Michigan is the worst. I can remember them being in a very, very long time. Central Michigan is another team that's very consistently one of the top teams in the in the MAC, and they are terrible this year. Uh, they are very, 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 very bad. Eastern Michigan is having a good year. Actually, for Eastern good. Michigan. Yeah, they're four and five. Will probably be five and five. Out. They have a legitimate shot at, at making a bowl, and that. Eastern Michigan is literally one of the hardest places to, to build a program. So if you manage to, if they are a consistent, bold, you know, team, you've done something. You're getting the six and six. You manage to get the six and six at, at, at EMU. You know, you do that at Ypsilanti, and you well, pass off. Hats what I, off. what I can tell you, what I can tell you is uh, they, they finally fixed something because I talked to one of the recruiters there because um, he was kind of interested in, you know, different data things, and, you know, we kind of bounced right. ideas off a little bit, you know. And uh, he, as he told me, and again, I'm not naming names, he told right. me that the way they had the recruiting set up was kind of archaic. Uh, they, the coaches couldn't decide, like they basically were trying to go after certain players that weren't even ranked, and then they were having arguments about why, no, they really are ranked. They were having arguments about basic facts is the best way to put it. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, like, it, it's a fact that this guy's not ranked by ESPN. Like, if he's not on the li- if he's not there, and he's not, like, it, you can call ESPN up and talk to their people, but he's not ranked. Um, now, that doesn't matter, you know, whether you like the guy or not, but I'm just saying that there was some fundamental arguments over basic facts in terms of recruiting, and they've so far fixed a lot of those issues. Um, so, okay. you know, I, I think I think, I think it's Michigan is a, is a team to watch in the future just because I think they're going in the right-ish direction recruiting-wise. So I think they're going to be like a juggernaut or whatever. Probably not, but – do they end up being like a decent middle of the middle of the pack Mac team? Yeah, I think that's I think that definitely is on the horizon potentially if they keep it recruiting up. Cool. Well, I'm excited about Western Michigan not being terrible, um, partially because they have a player that I really like, named Max Crosby, who I think is you know. Somewhat underhyped, uh, but I, I don't know. He's a, he's a good player, and and for a long time, obviously, you couldn't get anybody to watch Eastern Michigan on a on a bet. So I'm glad that they're competitive. Uh, Liberty, which uh, is making the transition, uh, is playing UMass. That these are two teams that should still be FBS FCS teams, quite frankly, but yes. for some reason, are not. Um, so you know, if I could wave my magic wand, the Liberty is four and three, but 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 they are. For they got a big win against Troy. Yep. As well, um, I I got Liberty in this game. Yeah, um, well, I have Liberty because UMass is not good. 
But, um, but <laughs> let me say this. <laughs> but, but if I could wave a magic wand and send both of them back to the FCS, I would because Liberty would be, you know, a one-loss team if you send them back to the Southern right. Conference or Big South, Big South, sorry, Big South. Would be yeah. a would be a off team competing probably for a national championship at the FCS. Well, we could just send them magically back to the FCS. Uh, but I can't do that. I, I've not been given that power. I just think there's too many teams in the FBS in general. Like, yes, there are. Yeah, I, 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 I think I I think we should just wave, like you said, just wave your wand and like kick almost half of the big team teams out. You know, yeah. not 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 like get rid of them, but just boom, they're send out. Them, uh, send them to the FCS. You know, just yeah, be so just cool. Kinda, just, some of these more you know, four and you know, three and four teams would be in the heat of chance to make the playoffs in the FCS. Yep. But think of how cool that would be. You might be one of the top sixteen to twenty teams in the FCS. Would you rather be, oh, whatever. Maybe they would rather be, you know, a also, a less than also ran FBS program that's fighting to get to, you know, four and eight. <laughs> Maybe that's somehow more appealing than being a one or two loss FCS team, but I, I don't know why, other than maybe money. I guess it's all about money. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, Arkansas State facing South Alabama. Arkansas State obviously should win that game. South Alabama is a program that I think is headed in the right direction, but it's going to take them a little while to get there. Uh, but I, I'm assuming they're going to be patient. They certainly should be. Yeah. Um, Southern Miss is uncharacteristically bad this year. They're they're surprisingly bad this year. Usually they get a mix of kids from Southern Mississippi, which are often good players, and Transfers either JUCO kids or kids that are transferring down from the SEC. For some reason, that didn't come together for them this year. Uh, Georgia Southern, which is an absolute juggernaut uh, that no one wants to talk about, uh, is probably going to roll over Louisiana Monroe. Yeah, maybe shouldn't say roll, but yeah, I mean, I think they're going to run all over them. Yeah, right. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, somewhere in the 10 to 17 point range of victory. Yeah, somewhere around that. Um, I guess I would put the put the 13 and a half if I were if I were out in the desert, probably where I put the spread on that game. Uh, it's actually seven and a half. Oh, it's really. Oh well, I will take that all day long. Once again, um, take Grandma's insulin money, and you could double it or whatever, or maybe not double it, but but whatever it is. That you would get for yeah. I, I think they I think they cover that spread all day long. If it were thirteen yeah. and a half, I might I'd still be tempted, but eight? Okay, well move it on. Um, here's a game in the Big Ten that doesn't matter to the outside world, but it matters a lot to the two programs. So one is obviously I think Lovey Smith is sort of coaching for his job. So if he can you somehow rally and close out strong and end up six and six, I think that would do a lot towards helping it. And obviously Minnesota is trying to prove that, uh, you know, P.J. Flex act works in the Big Ten. 
Uh, Minnesota is already four and four. They only need two more wins to get to bowl eligibility. While well, obviously Illinois is three and five. Here's the good news for Illinois. I think they're starting to figure out what they should be on offense. Uh, they've moved on to a young quarterback who is talented. I guess who uh, young Mr. Bush. Now he's Super, 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 super raw. Doesn't always know what he's doing or what he's seeing or how to do it. But he's talented. And I think by this next year, he'll be an effective quarterback. But what do the numbers say about Minnesota and Iowa? Uh, that was about an 83% chance for Minnesota. Um, you know, for the most part. I think... Right. Uh, 70, uh, probably like a 71% chance of winning by three. So okay. it's not going to be like a you know, super thing. Now, I will say this. I like Tyler Johnson at at, at Minnesota at wide receiver. Um, yeah. Yes. He's, he's been doing some interesting um, uh, things, you know, as a route runner and, uh, you know, kind of going up and catching the football. Uh yeah, I, Illinois, I mean, maybe if Lovey Smith survives this year, you know, which I think he should. But a big question is, can he survive this year? It'll be tough. But then again, you have to, like, if you fire Lovey Smith, like, where else do you go? You know, I don't know. It's, it's like a whole bunch of things. Because who wants to actually – the Illinois job is not exactly the sexiest of jobs, you know. Ever, it, I mean, at one it point is a, it was. At one point it was, believe it or not. <laughs> It was a pretty sexy job, old boy. Mike White, right? Um, uh, I mean, uh, Ron Zook, John Makovic. I mean, some semi-biggish names in coaching, you know, at one point were amongst the roster of of coaches there. But, yes, that was a while back. It's been a while since since that's been a sexy-ish job. Yep. Yeah, I think Minnesota wins, but I do think it might be close, though. Yes. Well, I hope I hope that he's given at least one more year, because I think he has an opportunity to actually turn turn you know right the ship, whatever term you use. Um, I guess we don't need to discuss UTEP and Rice. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Rice, I have I have Rice wins. I have, I have Rice in that game, but uh, mainly because of how they played against North Texas. Because I liked how Rice, you know, they came out against North Texas last week and they they got a touchdown on the opening drive, and they gave North Texas some fits. Now North Texas did eventually, you know, get the double digit win at the end, but um, I think Rice is it's poised to. Uh, Take take a lot of that momentum and you know get into the uh, the momentum of they, a loss. It's still going to run. Going to run, and yeah. UTEP has a shot to get blanks for the season. Um, I don't think yeah. they're going to be favored to win a single game this year. So that's rough. Um. Here's one of those games that I didn't see coming in terms of the records of the two teams. Kansas State TCU are both three and five. Uh, probably the first time 
I bet it's been a long time since they've both been three and five in the same year. I bet it's been a long time, probably 20 years or close to it, since they've both been three and five simultaneously. Mm-hmm. K-State is favored. I'm not exactly certain why, but you probably you probably could tell me why. Oh, which uh, which which game? Oh, uh, I think is it Kansas State favored in the TCU game? Though I'm not certain why. Uh, okay, well, okay, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why though. Um, okay. Texas Christian, based on my data, it's favored by 87%. Um, oh, wow. But, 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 you have to look at what's happened so far to TCU. Uh, they have racked up a ton of injuries. The quarterback got hurt. They lost to Kansas, Bill. Kansas. Kansas. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I think it might be a little bit of an overreaction. Um, I, I think it might be a little bit of that. Maybe why Kansas State is favored is because, you know, TCU lost to Kansas last week, and uh, there's a lot of people that are that are kind of overreacting to it. But um, that's the only reason I could think they'd be favored. I think TCU definitely has the best chance to win this game um, against Kansas State. Because Kansas State has not been that great. I mean, this isn't like if this was Kansas State of like a couple of years ago, then yeah, you know, on a TCU team that's that's really banged up right now. But I do think that TCU um, gets the victory. But that's the only reason I could think that Kansas State would be favored is because yeah. of losing to Kansas, and then all the injuries keep piling up for TCU too. Yeah, I still have TCU as well. I just I don't know. But we'll see, obviously. Uh, in, a, in a much more attractive Big 12 game, uh, Texas and West Virginia. Now, Texas, once again, is, is favored here. I'm assuming yep. some of his name branding, uh, I'm assuming some of that. Well, it's and ranking. It's college football ranking. Yes, right, and that, that as well. Because name now the line has moved because the opening line for that game um, oh, no, actually, not, it hasn't really moved that much. But, like, it, it was, like, negative seven or something, and it's finally moved down to, like, negative two or negative three. Um, oh, well, I missed my opportunity at seven all day long <laughs> and twice on Thursday. Yeah, for uh, protecting. But, uh, you know, honestly, I, I, I don't think Texas is as good as people think they are. I think Oklahoma is a much better team. I think, you know, I understand people make a lot about the Cotton Bowl, and and, and don't get me wrong, it is a big game, but I just think you have to look at you have to look at at the season, the collective body of a season, more so than just individual game, because individual game you know, can go either way, you know, like like you, you could beat one, uh, you know, Oklahoma could beat Texas seven times out of ten, you know, but that one three out of ten times they lost, so, uh, but. I think that this is definitely going to be a close game between West Virginia and Texas. Uh, I think Texas definitely has the advantage in this game um, to a certain extent because it is at home for them. But I do think West Virginia, based on the data, is favored uh, to win. I think think it's like 54% chance for West Virginia. So not the highest, but 
I do think that it, it's it's going to be one of the highlight games of the week, I think, at the, when it's all said and done. It needs to be like a back-and-forth type thing, and then um, West Virginia gets a win by like a three points or whatever. Okay. And staying in in the old bet the over bowl, um, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, obviously a lot of people have been referencing the uh, two years ago when Pat Mahomes uh, faced off in a record-setting game versus uh, Baker Mayfield and accounted for 819 yards of total offense, 734 yards passing. Uh, Pat Mahomes tied or broke a bunch of records in that game, and Baker Mayfield wasn't far behind. I don't think we're going to see quite that game this time. I think it's going to be, you know, a game somewhere in the – We're going to see that game on Sunday, though. Yes. Yes, we will. Because Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, you know, Browns versus Chiefs. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah, Oklahoma, I definitely think gets the win here. Um, Texas Tech is not that bad this year. They've they've definitely been inconsistent. Yes. um, As they usually are. They've been only with a – better offense, but I mean, one of those teams that, right. you know, beats good teams and then just doesn't look good against teams that aren't that good sometimes. Exactly. Um, I mean, I have Oklahoma by 67%, in, you know, in the wing column. Um, but, uh, and I really like Oklahoma's offense this year. Like, people talk a lot about Alabama's offense, um, you know, and definitely just in terms of, like, pure you know, wow, honest, you know, Alabama definitely kind of takes the cake. But Oklahoma has been really almost better than it was last year in terms of just efficiency, you know, and everything else about it. So um, I think it's, uh, you know, they haven't lost the steps, so to speak, after after Mayfield left. So I think that's it's really interesting what Oklahoma is doing there in terms of uh, their offense. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, uh, of that team. Uh, I think Oklahoma is really good, and I think I think they're gonna run the table from this point out. I'm gonna I'm gonna lose another game. Uh, let's see, Memphis over East Carolina. I think by at least a touchdown. Uh, let's see, so continuing on going out west. Um, we already talked West Virginia. Alcorn State faces New Mexico State. Um, upset alert for New Mexico State. <laughs> Just throwing it out. Just throwing it out there. Um, upset alert for yeah. New Mexico State. New Mexico State. Everyone's sort of assuming that they're going to win just because they're an SBS team, but they're. It's a really good FBS team against a bad FBS team, but that doesn't always work out the way you think it will. No. It does not. I'm just throwing that out here. Um, and let me just say, hats off to Charlotte, which looks like they might, they might be bowl eligible this year. Um, they, a fairly new, new-ish, um, at least, uh, F, uh, BS program that, Looks like they're going to, like I said, be bowl eligible, which is uh, impressive. So good on you. 
staying out west, Utah, Arizona State. I'm a big fan of. Uh, I think they, a lot of people criticize you for this. We talked about this flashing that we did. Sorry. Um, everybody but you, because you weren't around at the time. But a lot of people were critical of the Herman Edwards hire. And I was a big fan of the Herman Edwards hire. I thought Herman Edwards would, would have success both in the short and in the long term. And I, I'm standing by that. I still think he's going to have success both in the short and in the long term. At, um, at Arizona State, I think they're going to be a bowl eligible team this year. I think they're going to end up probably six and six. However, Utah is, you know, sort of once again, sort of the Wisconsin only with a better quarterback, but the Wisconsin of the of the conference, they. I think they Utah really might be the best team in the Pac-12. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I I think Utah may not lose once again. May not lose another game. I think they're going to end up representing the South versus uh, versus Washington State, and I won't be shocked at all if they beat Washington State, which will be bad for the for the Pac-12 because then they'll lose any chance of being in the Final Four. Yes, because you know two lost teams, well, one out, one out right. over. Right, they deserve uh, not to be in the Final Four, but this is me. Yes, right. I don't know. Also, Pac-12 sure. has just not been that great this year uh, across the board. Yeah. Right. I thought Stanford would be better than they've been this year. That was my preseason pick to win the conference with Stanford, and I stand corrected. <laughs> um, they are not who I thought they were at all. But look for um, look for it to be close. Look for Arizona State. Arizona State is scary. They're one of those teams that yeah. they're going to they're gonna beat someone else that people don't – the one season that over. I don't think it's going to happen this week, but before the season's over, they're going to beat someone that people don't think they're going to beat. Mark my words. Yeah. I mean, it's a very underrated offense. I mean, they're they're very explosive. Um, you know, the defense isn't the same situation, of course, but um, no. they've they've really done a lot offensively. That's really you know uh, with you know Benny Wilkins and <clears throat> Harry and all the you know all the other sort of things they have there. They they've looked very. Uh, very explosive as a team, you know, in terms of offensively. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm, you know, clearly a, clearly a fan of, of the coach. And, and a Manny, Manny Wilkins is a what? In a world where people keep trying to sell me on, um, you know, tell me a quarterback, I don't think Manny Wilkins is going to be a starter, but in a world where people keep trying to sell me on some of these men quarterbacks like Brian Lewerke as first-rounders, Manny Wilkins is better than Brian Lewerke. Why is somebody trying to sell me on him? I will say this much. Manny Wilkins deserves to have first-round hype more than Drew Locke and all yes. the other guys they want to tote in the first yes. round. Thank you. Thank you. You are my dude. <laughs> right. But no, nobody's trying to push him into the first round. People are content to let him stay somewhere probably in the fifth. <laughs> no one's going to push him up. Um, yeah. In another battle of the the much defeated, uh, Connecticut is facing Tulsa for no reason whatsoever. I'm leaning Tulsa. <laughs> um, I've watched both teams, and neither one impresses me very much. But I just think no. Tulsa has a well, no, obviously not. I think think Tulsa has a little bit more something on offense. Both teams are not yeah. good anywhere that um, you look. But I'm calling for a two-point two win by Tulsa for no reason whatsoever. Um, you know, <laughs> I can't I like think it. of it. 
I like it though. I mean, Tulsa. I mean, just based on this particular match, I mean, Tulsa's definitely favored. Um, trying to see what the highest likelihood of a yeah highest likelihood of a win. It's like seventy percent chance they win by five. Oh wow! Okay. Well, now I'm being about conservative. <laughs> yeah, maybe eighty. 70, yeah, maybe 76% chance they win by two. So you're not that bad. Not that bad. Right. I go. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Moving on. Um, I think Houston, senior programs that people don't talk enough about. <laughs> I mean, what does Houston have to do to get some love? What do they have to do? They're, they're about to probably uh, be go. undefeated. Okay. Is that what it takes? They have to go undefeated. So yes. going 10-2, 11-1 is going to do it. Okay, I got it. Okay. Because they go 10-2, 11-1 a lot now. You know, if they were undefeated, people would make a bigger deal about them. I mean, Houston is, is one of the best offenses in college football. You know, yep. uh, they have ridiculously great defensive player, of course, Ned Oliver, you know, in terms of just in general. Um, the only thing I was thinking, though, because everybody brings up his size and stuff, I don't really care about his size, but I was thinking to myself, you know, if Ed Oliver was, like, in the Mac or something, people would be talking about transitioning him to fullback or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> those guys. <laughs> you know, like, oh. if he wasn't a five-star recruit. It's true. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> People would be like, you oh. know what, he can transition to fullback. You know, he's super athletic and he tears offensive linemen up. But, hey, you know, if he was a fullback, oh. you know. My God. Oh. Oh. There are a because... lot of players like him that have existed, you know. Uh, now, of course, he's better than a lot of them, you know. But I just feel like. I don't really care about the size. I, you know, I, the NFL is more about playing in space anyways nowadays. So, but, know. yeah, Miller and Nikita Woodlock somewhere, and I guess to a lesser extent, Andre Monroe, who didn't get a chance to do that, are all somewhere dapping you up, my friend. Or <laughs> somewhere dapping yep. you up. Yeah. But, yeah, Houston what? is great. I mean, they've been great this year. The South Florida win, I think, was a big win for them, you know, to kind of – you know, because there's South a Florida lot of murmurs really, and whispers. Really South Florida, if you yeah. drop South Florida into the um, SEC East, they're a contender for the SEC East. I don't know how best to say it. Maybe, maybe yeah. Georgia, maybe Kentucky's better. Who else? Who else is better in the SEC East than those two? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah, they, yeah. Well, Alvers is really great. I think is the you know, I, I mean, again, this is a guy that as a rookie was doing things that most guys don't do until they're juniors, you know. So I, I, I just think he's he's still that guy to me. I don't really care about size, all this other kind of stuff, because cause what matters most, again, this is just based on data. The thing that matters to, to transitioning to be a great defensive player at the NFL level is your production and your athleticism. Ed Oliver – Test like a freak athletically. I don't care what his size is, and that's been consistent. You know, you look at Geno Atkins, you look at Aaron Donald, you look at all those other guys. 
You can even yep. say Grady Jarrett to a lesser extent, you know, super athletic, defensive yep. tackle, not the biggest, but, you know. Look, still, if he shows up at the combine, on Sunday. if he shows up at the combine, he's 282 pounds, I'm fine. I'll be okay. If he shows up at the combine, he's yep. 282 pounds, I'll be just fine. I won't be worried one bit. If he shows up at the combine, he's 277 pounds. I'll, I won't be freaked out. Now, if he shows up at the combine, he's 267 pounds, obviously tongues will wag at that point. Now people go like, well, you know, there's no position, blah, blah, blah. I'll figure it out. Get well, they'll do the Randy Gregory backpedaling. Well, he could play linebacker. Oh, God. He's athletic yeah. enough. He could do linebacker drills and look. He could do anything. He could do anything with Ed Oliver. You put him in any yeah. defense, you'll find something for him to do. You should be. If you can't figure out how to use Ed Oliver, then you should stop coordinating defenses. Like, it's not Ed yeah. Oliver's fault if you can't figure out how to use Ed Oliver. That's on you. That's a you problem. Um, yep. Um, FIU should easily handle Florida Atlantic. Oh, oh, oh. Here's, I'm sorry. Here's an SEC school I somehow missed. Uh, sorry, Mississippi State. Uh, you're playing out of conference against Louisiana Tech. That, once again, I don't think trap game, but I'd be a little uh, worried about this game. Uh, I I I don't think so. Um, okay, so Mississippi State. Okay, all right then. Well, because because it's it's at Mississippi State, you know, like if this was at Louisiana Tech. Okay, gotcha. I could I could see that, but like there and the defense that Mississippi State has, you know, like Jeffrey Simmons especially, you know, is is really great um, last year yeah. and this year. Um, so I I think Tech will have some some issues moving the ball, you know, which is never great when you're on the road. True. Uh, for those who have not seen, speaking of pass rushers, for those who have not seen Jalen Ferguson, which appears a lot of people have not seen Jalen Ferguson, hey, get some Jalen Ferguson in mm-hmm. your life, kid. Uh, <laughs> he really is good. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> you know, everyone's talking about, you know, they, and Brian Burns, I mean, hey, these are good players, but I don't see people talking enough about uh, Jalen Ferguson. He's really, really good. He really is. I promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, UAB should this – is, this is funny. UAB may end up being a one-loss team when it's all said and done, Jim. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yes, sir. They keep playing really well. Yeah. The same UAB that people don't seem to want to have a football program sometimes. I mean, I don't, I can't, I don't know what to say. Like, UMass well, deserves less of a football program than UAB does. The thing is that you, people have to show up, you know, to the game. I guess, to well, a certain extent. Because um, the worst thing to be is a football program where you're winning and nobody shows up to watch you win. <laughs> Um, I'm not saying it would be is exactly that, you know, but that's that's the only sort of concern I have about some teams, you know, that playing these like lower conference kind of teams is they don't always have the support that they probably should get, you know. Yeah, well, one is do they they don't even have a home home with Alabama, do they? 
They should. Hmm? They should have a home with Alabama, first of all. That would be cool. True. Help. Um, so I'm going to put it out there, people. Hey, somebody get on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see that. I really would. I think it would be good for, good for them. Uh, let's see. Going back out west, we need to finish off the Mountain West and then Pac-12. Uh, BYU has played Boise State. BYU was a tough out yeah. because because BYU, you know, they once again they're the Wisconsin of the of the Mountain West. Uh, if only they had better quarterback play, you know, which is so funny because BYU for so many years was one of the great bastions of quarterback play. It's so weird now that they can't find quarterbacks with BYU. Was, yeah. BYU was QBU when I was when I first started watching college football because they were one of only about three or four teams that really threw the football in those days. They were Stanford. I could name all the teams that actually threw the football in those days. Tulsa, Stanford, Purdue, and BYU. That was it. Yep. Oh, sorry, San Diego State. There were you could literally name five teams that threw the ball fifty percent. Literally fifty percent. There were five teams that were fifty percent fast. When I when I first started watching college football, that was it, Jim. That was it. That was a, that's all. So <laughs> five, and then um, Rice had a, a, a little short run when um, Homer Rice, uh, no relation, was their quarterback, and he turned Tommy Kramer into a Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, I think he finished eighth in the Heisman Trophy voter in seventh grade, uh, and they suddenly threw the ball. And then when Homer Rice left, they went right back to running triple option, but. Um, but for a little run there, for a short run there, they became a, a passing, a really explosive entry. They ran an, an offense that now you would recognize. Like it was, oh, you're running kind of a. It was, it was, it was a spread. It was sort of like similar to, similar to what you see in that uh, Clemson. Well, not Clemson now, but Clemson in the um, Coach Rodriguez days, like the, like the Homer. Uh, not Homer. Um, what's, his, what's the kid? Uh, Woody Danzler. It was sort of like the Woody Danzler era. Rich Rodriguez, Tommy Bowden, head coach, Rodriguez, offensive coordinator, or what uh, Rich Rodriguez ran when he was at Tulsa. Uh, also, the game with Bowden, uh, with, with a different Bowden brother, uh, with Terry Bowden um, as head coach when he was when he went undefeated at Tulsa with Sean King at quarterback and uh, Welding Moore at running back. Um, back in those days, that that Tulsa, I'm not Tulsa, that uh, Tulane, but uh, that offense, it was very similar to that. Uh, Air Option is the name of the offense that Homer Rice ran. It was really a, a way ahead of its time. It was a way ahead of its time offense. And somebody should, maybe it's me, um, in fact, I guess it is me, should write a book about great sort of forward-looking playbooks in the history of, of football, because it really was one of the great forward-looking playbooks in the history of football. So much of what is commonplace now, Homer Rice helped to invent in the early 1970s. And then later he worked with a young offensive coordinator named Bill Walsh when he was a quarterback's coach with the um, Eagles in the early 1970s. So it was whatever. Uh, Homer Rice is one of those really underappreciated offensive geniuses, but that's for another time. Um, San Diego State should handle Mexico with ease. Here's 
once again, speaking of teams that don't get enough love, uh, and a, a, a name that will be near and dear to your heart, Fresno State. Yep. Seven and one. Almost silently, mm-hmm. it's seven and one. Jeff Tedford is coaching his behind off, Jim. Yeah. He's not doing this with four and five stars. He's kind of the same kids that they, they were there before, but he's winning with them. Yep. Yep. Only, you know, only big loss, you know, Minnesota, you know, at Minnesota, right. but, uh, you know, it's playing well. It's a very good shot of winning. Now, I mean, it, that's sort of a win. Even if, they, even if they had to go back to Minnesota, I think those two teams played now, I think Fresno would win. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, I think Mountain West Conference comes down to Fresno State and Utah State, and uh, it's kind of a toss-up, you know. Of, Utah State definitely has a better defense, but Fresno State, you know, definitely could pull it off. Yeah. Well, first of all, speaking of quarterbacks, people that, that you know, people love pushing quarterbacks up the board. Jordan Love, if he played at South Carolina, I'd be having to hear how Jordan Love should come out early and would go in the first 25 picks in the draft. If he went to South Carolina, I'd be hearing that from people about Jordan Love. He's better than Jake Bentley. Mm-hmm. But because South State, nobody's trying to tell me he should declare early. Nobody's trying to tell me anything about Jordan Love. <laughs> Oddly enough, he's really good, Jim. Mm-hmm. Marcus McMarion and Jordan Love. I mean, I have to live in a world where people are trying to tell me that Jake Bentley and Drew Locke are first-rounders. You know what I mean? They're not. But, but but I get crickets when I try to get people to talk about Marcus McMarion and Jordan Love. Crickets. Because they haven't seen them, you know. They're asleep. They're in bed by the time they play. <laughs> is, is that what it is? Yeah. That's yeah. Sleep. <laughs> yeah. That's what it needs is beauty. Right? A lot, them, and then by the time they get to the Mount West game, they're like, all right, call it in tonight. That's the problem of most teams on the West Coast. You know, people just aren't awake to see them unless you're in California, you know, on the West Coast. Uh, okay. Um, moving on. Uh, it just, uh, I'm, I'm going to just have to get over my frustration. Moving on. Um, oh, man, I'm getting excited about Fresno State, Utah State. But, once again, I don't see upset alert exactly for, for, for Hawaii. A tough out this year, Jim. Hawaii's no joke. Yeah. They're not. I I mean, that's one of the games that you're looking at this week where, you know, Utah State is favored, but um, it's in Hawaii, you know. <laughs> it's never fun for anybody to go to Hawaii and play. Right. True. A lot of times you didn't get to have no fun either. He's just like, no, we're not doing anything here. We're going here. We're playing the game. We're leaving. You know? Right. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm over it-ish. 
but yeah, I'm excited about Frozen City. And both those both these are should be ranked higher than they are. Uh, <laughs> I mean, those those are both top fifteen programs that are not ranked in the top fifteen. Uh, okay, Stanford is playing Washington um, in a game that, I mean, these are still, you know, good programs, but they're obviously headed for, you know, seven and five, eight and four kind of seasons. I'm assuming Washington is the, has the better numbers based on the stuff you do, but I'm not certain, but Walk me through it. Oh. Uh, are you talking about the Huskies? Yes, Washington and Stanford. Uh, my guess oh. is the numbers say Washington, but you know, I don't do I don't do what you do. What, what, what's the actual right. fact? Uh, Washington's favored seventy four percent. Okay. That's Not the highest favorite. percentage though, compared to other home teams. So they're kind of. Um, they're kind of in the – I mean, they're at the worst tier to be in, but, you know, 74% is not the highest of, of chances to win, you know, at home. So they're not guaranteed to win by any means. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Oh, before I forget, <laughs> we sort of discussed Illinois already. Um, Reggie Corbin, he's worth a watch, Jim. I don't know if you've checked him out yet, but in a world where, you know, once again, people can get super excited about lots of different players, uh, he's an exciting young running back. He and he, Jordan Cronkwright, Divine Ozigbo and Reggie Corbin are just wildly, in my opinion, wildly underrated, as is Kishon Vaughn and Vanderbilt, wildly underrated. And I'm not certain why exactly. Uh, maybe it's just, again, maybe it's just not the sexiness of the program or whatever it is, but terrific players. Uh, but, yes, back to, back to the lesson at hand. Uh, staying within the Pac-12, UCLA is playing Oregon. I'm assuming Oregon is supposed to win that game handily. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Not I, I handily, would agree. Though, but definitely, you know, favored to win. Oh, okay. Well, that's something of a surprise. Um, I would think, well, maybe Oregon isn't as good as, well, once again, they're five and three, so I guess they, they aren't as good as yeah. people thought they would be. They're not as good as people uh, yeah. Yeah, that's most of the time. Uh, However good you thought they were, anybody in the Pac-12, however good you think a Pac-12 team is, they're not as good as you think. Right. 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 Well, USC is going to get well against Oregon State. I'm assuming they're going to win that game by 10 points or so. I hope. (laughs) I mean, USC is definitely favored, but, I mean, I just can't get over that Colorado loss, man. Like that, that's just. But Colorado's not. You, know, you rarely, yeah. you rarely see a game where you like you're looking at something like oh twenty eight to three, okay Colorado wins, and then boom, it's an overtime. 
anytime anything goes into overtime, you're like, okay, this, you don't want to win this game, do you, Colorado? <laughs> so um, I, I do think USC wins. I mean, I, I do think they win, but I could definitely see Oregon State, you know, be rallying a bit and going like, yeah, we beat Colorado. You know, USC's next. Like I could, I could see something like that happen. Does it happen? Probably not, but they might, they might yeah, regress back to what they are. Well, first of all, the arrow I think is pointing in the right direction in Oregon State. Now it's going to take a while, but I, they're going to be bowl eligible again. And I would say by 2020, probably. I can see them being mm-hmm. eligible you know, next year, the year after that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Another Mountain West program. Yeah, keep, keep, keep it on Oregon State, uh, whether you get this one or not. Here's another program that is wildly underrated, San Diego State. Now, Obviously, if you don't run the table, I guess, no one's going to pay attention to the city of the state. But they're... where would they be if you dropped them into the Pac-12 South? And I was going to Utah. Uh, but would they be as good as Oregon State? Maybe even slightly better? Maybe. I mean, where would they think amongst teams in the state of California, right? If... Fresno, let's say Fresno State's the best team in the state of California, because I think they might be, right? Let's right. say that's number one, okay? Mm-hmm. How much further down is San Diego State from them in the state of California? Isn't that crazy? The two best teams in the state of California might both be in the Mountain West, Jim. Right. Very true. And then Cal? Is Cal the next? Or Stanford? You know, it's, Interesting. Interesting thought. Uh, we talked a little bit about Washington State and Cal already. I'm assuming the numbers like Washington State. What's that taking through that game while we're at it, I guess? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> the numbers do like Washington State. Okay. Um, not by a overwhelming amount. I mean, I think... I just kind of double check. Actually, they did, it does like them by a decent amount. Ninety-five uh, percent, I think is okay. Okay, right that. And and to me, the Pac-12 right now is. I think we both agree the Pac-12 is Utah and Washington State at this point. Um, yeah. So we all most agree. likely, you know, to get into that championship game. So. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Washington State definitely gets the win. California has been wily this year, you know. They they obviously upset Washington um, at home uh, for California, so uh, at Cal. But yeah, I, I think Washington State definitely gets this gets this win. That's very high likelihood. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so, and I guess I'll, I'll close out on this. Uh, as we mentioned earlier in the show, um, it is draft season for fans of the Oakland Raiders. Yep. If you were stacking the board uh, for the Raiders, if the Raiders have brought you in as a consultant, we have all this draft capital, we need to not blow it this time, we're bringing in... Jim Coburn to help us to get the most out of it. 
what would you be doing in terms of making sure that you maximize your opportunities in, in, the, in the draft with all the stuff you've got going on and, and maybe where some of the particular players you'd be targeting for, uh, for the Oakland Raiders? Well, that's a, tough, that's a tough question at this point. But what I would basically be doing is I would be, one, waiting until the end of the season to collect all the data, obviously, uh, to get a better idea on things. But there are players that I already, like, look at it like this, players that I already feel good about, you know, players that I know from past experience have the data that I'm looking for. It's just a matter of confirming things in the offseason. Um, I would say Ed Oliver is one of those guys, obviously. Uh, yeah, I would okay. say uh, Josh Allen from Kentucky is another one of those, you know, players. Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State. Uh, Where's the Harry thing, Jim? You might be getting all three with the amount of stuff you. I mean, I know. You could probably move them <laughs> I know. You could move down and still get those players, but the w- the way things are right now with the Raiders is this is a complete and utter rebuild. Because yes. before, we actually had some things. We had an edge rusher. We had a wide receiver. We had a quarterback. And, of course, Gabe Jackson, you know, some offensive line, you know, interior offensive line. Um, now, we just added more things to the list. You know, normally, when you're any football team, you're trying to decrease the things you have to put on the list. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're trying to... <laughs> You try to decrease the amount of needs that you that you need to go get. This team decided we're not going to do that. We're just going to increase the amount of needs we need uh, because we just we just need a completely different team at this point. We need, we need more defensive players, uh, more edge rushers, more interior defensive linemen. We need linebackers, we need cornerbacks, we need safeties, we need tackles, we need wide receivers, we need tight ends. We need, Everything, you know, yes. uh, we need. Um, and some even say quarterback. Now, me, I don't think so. I see this as a team. Even when this team had a winning season, the defense was terrible. You know, the offense had some issues here and there. Um, you didn't replace guys with certain guys. You know, you can't just get rid of Michael Crabtree and – think that everything's going to be fine. You know, you can't just replace a veteran like that with, eh, you know, at the position. So uh, I think this is just a complete rebuild. I think you stick with Derek Carr for obvious reasons, but I think you – it's, it's just one of those things where it might be two, three years before they get back to being uh, really, really, really competitive because you're not going to fix this overnight. You don't go out in free agency and spend hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, you don't do that. You know, I think that's what the I think that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to build through the draft. If they hit on those picks, it'll be great. If they don't hit on those picks, then we're the Browns again. <laughs> you know, or, or whatever else you want to say. So, um, because just because you have multiple first rounders doesn't mean you're going to do much with those. And that's my only issue with the Raiders at this point. You know, because the draft is not. I mean, it's like this. You realistically have a better shot of improving your team through free agency than you do the draft only because you have a better idea of what these players are in free agency than you do in the draft. You know, the, the draft is very 
you have a very good shot of you know having a higher you know, a good chance of getting a really great player at a discount. But hitting on the hitting on hitting on players in the draft is not easy. If it was, then everybody would be doing it. Um, yeah. So that's my only concern is just because you have a lot of draft capital doesn't mean you're going to do much with it. And you know we, we've seen the Browns do this twice. You know, Johnny Manziel and Justin Gilbert, right? You know, they were yeah. supposed to get the job done, and that didn't really happen. Um, no, you know, no, we've, we've seen this. Trent Richardson and, and Brandon Whedon, and didn't really end up with much. So just because you have a lot of draft picks doesn't mean you're going to do the best. I think this year in particular, there's a lot of really great defensive players, and that would be how I would go. You know, I might get a wide receiver in the late first, you know, potentially, I think it would be where I would try to go for a wide receiver. Um, but I would really go defensive heavy in the first first half. Yes. Well, it's a really, really, really good draft. So I, I am fully in agreement that that would be the way to go. Just load up. Just load up. And become a defensive team, like the last time that your coach had great success. You had a tremendous defense. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is when your team is terrible and you can literally use everything, I guess that's the good news, right? You can use everything. And there's. Mm-hmm a lot of good players to be had. So, yeah, you could just load up like crazy on defense and just have one of the tremendous defensive teams anybody's ever seen. I mean, that would be, you know, that would be decent. I think that might be a good idea. Yeah. Well, you know, We'll see what happens, obviously. It's an, it's an exciting, not exciting, I mean, maybe exciting is not the word before, but there's, there's a lot of possibilities to be had. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, tell people where they can find your work and follow you, Jeff. Uh, sure, you can uh, find my work at uh, draftcoburn.wordpress.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Geometrics. And I am going to start getting uh, some YouTube stuff up. I kind of got oh. swamped with a lot of a lot of work, <laughs> you know, a lot of stuff I had to do. Uh, but uh, finally, have some stuff to actually put some content up. So there's going to be some more content going on coming in football. You know, dealing with matchups, players, you know, pretty much everything in between, you know. So definitely be on the lookout for that as well. Okay. Okay. Well, as always, it's, it's exciting um, to see what it is you're up to. There's a lot of cool stuff, you know, sort of happening out there in the wild and wonderful world of college football. And for obvious reasons, I know that there's, it's challenging uh, to be an Oakland Raiders fan for, well, a bunch of reasons, even more reasons than, than usual because of stuff. Uh, but uh, there's also these 
opportunities out there, you know, because of the draft and things like that for your team to potentially improve a great deal in a short amount of time. So good luck with all of that, and, and hopefully, you know, we'll look back on all this and laugh someday. Uh, as always, it's an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure, Jim. I thank you so much for your time, your talents, and your attention. And we'll do this again in one week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 